0: Full Court Fits is The Ringer's new weekly NBA video series hosted by Big Waz, a.k.a. Wozny Lambre. Each week, we take you around the world of NBA fashion and share can't-miss style choices from your favorite players and keep you up to date on the latest news and releases in sneaker culture. Waz also talks to experts like Damian Lillard's personal stylists to give you behind-the-scenes looks at how the NBA's biggest stars choose their outfits. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed to The Ringer's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer so you never
1: miss an episode. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really... The only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid We're also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook as well as The Ringer and theringer.com. Big podcast coming up. Mike Francesa. We are talking little Yankees, Red Sox at the top. I just, I had to do it. I didn't want to do it, but he was he was just beaming with joy. So we had to. But really, I wanted him to talk about NFL futures, Giants and the Jets, Belichick. So uh he gave us his favorite bet. So that's our first guest. And then Jason Goff a name you'll be hearing in ringer circles a little bit more as we head into football season. But uh, I had to ask him what's going on with Justin Fields and the Bears fans. Is this an all time love affair, budding love affair? Where are we? Do we believe in Justin Fields? And then finally, Jim Miller who wrote the definitive book about ESPN once upon a time, he's been on this podcast uh, many times before, but so much ESPN drama had to bring him on to figure out what the F is going on with that place. Uh, So yeah. Heading into the weekend. This is a, a really, really good podcast. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right. Not a lot could bring Meg Francesa to this podcast. I really have to talk him in. There's got to be something in it for him. There's two things that he loves. NFL futures and the Yankees turning things around. When I was I was sending, I was texting my Yankee friends being like, we're going to try to go 19-0 against you this year. We could try to sweep the series. This is going to be great. You trade for Rizzo. The rivalry flips. And now we're taping this at three on uh, Thursday afternoon Pacific time. The rivalry, Frips, you love this Yankee team. And I hate the joy in your face. I really do. I can't stand it.
2: I hated this Yankee team. Hated it. I still don't love a lot of these players. Rizzo's already my favorite Yankee, other than Gaudy, who's old. But I, I love Rizzo is a born Yankee. Absolutely. And lately, he hasn't even hit that much. But just in the Red Sox series, his gloves Versus Dolbech Stone Glove was the <laughs> difference in one game. I yeah. mean, and this Yankees team's transformation has been one of the most startling in season in baseball history. They went from being a awful, awful to watch, slow, misguided, uh, uh, just unathletic, ugly team that could do nothing right to a team now that has transformed everything. Their attitude. They're approached at the plate. They now take more pitches than anybody. They hit and run. They steal bases. They catch the ball. This is disgusting. I'm going to throw everything right. They do everything right. And it was so bad to so good. It is startling. But let me throw some cold water because of the fact that if they don't get Chapman straightened out, and I don't know that they can. And right now he's not close. They will go out early in the playoffs because they have nobody, and underline nobody, to close the games. Nobody can do it. I don't think Loise can do it. All right, Wandy's a pipe dream. Uh, britain has gone. Green can't pitch the ninth inning. They, right now, have nobody to close the games.
1: What's Rivera doing? Can they get him ready in time for October or no?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's their best bet. I mean, that is really their best bet. I would roll the dice, believe it or not. They go out there and say, oh, let's look at Chapman tonight and hope and dream, okay? I mean, that they won that game the other night when they went to Wandi with the bases loaded after Chapman had imploded, it was unbelievable. But that's how it's been during the streak. They've won seven or eight games. They had no right winning. The bottom line is, though, they can't count on Chapman. He's been awful. And I think Isaac is probably the best bet, but I think the Yankees are going into the postseason, and they're going into the postseason. I don't think they'll win the division. I think they'll win the wild card easy. But uh, I think they're going in without anybody they can count on in the ninth inning.
1: I thought, I think Chapman is done, personally, or there's something wrong with him. I, I don't know what's going on with him, but that Atlanta game the other night, which was done, and then Chapman, the sweat's pouring out of him. Oh. Like he honestly looks like he looks like Ray Liotta in the last twenty minutes of Goodfellas. <laughs> like he looks like he's honestly having a meltdown. And and finally Boone has to just come. He's like, we're just not going to win the him. game if this guy I, got, I had to do it. They'd do this against the Red Sox too. It's like, wow, you can't even get a three run save. We got to come get you. So and it's the rough. Red
2: Sox, the transformation, it's almost like whatever the Yankees had infecting them, it infected the Red Sox all of a sudden. It did. They can't t- catch the ball. They hit every fastball that was thrown anywhere near them the first three months of the season. Now they can't get a hit with men in scoring position. They look like whatever was just the Yankees had, but they caught it and the Yankees just repelled it. It's like they changed places.
1: Yeah, it's like a horror movie where the evil being <laughs> jumps bodies. Yeah, we... The games the Yankees were winning, that was what the Red Sox was doing the, for four months, including against the Yankees a couple of times. These ridiculous wins where you're just like, how did we, what just happened? But our bullpen fell apart. I mean, two things. We didn't do anything at trade deadline and the bullpen died. Whitlock, Barnes, all these guys just ran out of steam.
2: Yeah, your bullpen is not good. And you were, it was a wish and a dream anyway. And this it idea, was. oh, they're going to get sale at the break. Oh yeah, sure. That's going to be great. I mean, that's going to be wonderful. Listen. They are a a good team. They don't have great pitching. Um, They're not a championship team. The Yankees could be if they could figure out the ninth inning. I don't think they can. I don't think it's something they really have within their possibility. They figured out everything else. And I'm telling you, the day Rizzo put the uniform on, everything changed. Everything changed.
1: And with the rivalry, it changed because... As a Red Sox fan, we were all mad they didn't do anything. But I really think the front office looked at it and were like, we're smoking mares. We're not giving up prospects. Rizzo's not going to save what's about to happen to this team. And Rizzo ends up going to the Yankees for, you know, they get their, they're, 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 the salaries paid for. They did give up a couple like lower level prospects. The Red Sox didn't want to give up anything. They're like, we're good. We're, but you'd think that he's probably been worth a five-game
2: swing because we have nobody who can play first base. Just the attitude He brought and just he is a Yankee. The Yankees Hmm. didn't know how to play and they were stubborn about it. They're like, we don't need lefties. What do you mean you don't need lefties? All of a sudden now the balance in the lineup has meant everything. You know, we, we, we can win with the home run. No, you can't. Now they run. Now, you know, Wade's been good and he's been hitting. They put the kid in its shortstop who's like, you know, a, a, a made-for-TV movie. And the kid's playing like Louis Aparicio, okay? <laughs> you know, and, and what they had was a bunch of right-handed sluggers who couldn't get out of their own way, who, who were, were the worst base-running team in history. And now yeah. they do everything right. They steal bases, they hit and run, they catch everything. It's a complete transformation, the likes of which I cannot remember in season in my life.
1: It reminds me of the 2018 Red Sox team in this sense that you're right. The way the American League is, who the hell knows? Like the Yankees, they're playing well. They obviously have an expensive roster with some stars. They're getting lucky with a couple of the frisky guys. But the 2018 Red Sox had this Craig Kimbrell piece where it was just hanging over us that whole year. We just didn't know if we could get through October with him as the closer. And as it turns out, we made it by like the skin of our balls with him. Yep. And then he 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 came back and now he's an asset again, but it just didn't seem like he could be the closer on a World Series team. And I, I don't think Chapman can either.
2: I don't think he can. I, first of all, I've never been a big Chapman guy. I don't like a lot of these Yankees. I don't like a lot of them. I don't like the way they play. I never want to stand anywhere near the team. Voight now is mad about Rizzo. You know what? It's actually made him hit better. So you know mm. what? As long as he hits mad, okay. They have got really it's been done a little bit with mirrors because they've gotten a lot of guys play way over their head the last couple of weeks, but it's working. Everything that didn't work. It's almost like every bad bounce. Now it's a good bounce. And I know it's going to level off and they're going to have a slump again. That's baseball. The bottom line though, is it's going to level off. They're going to make the playoffs. This series with the A's is going to be very interesting because they can put them away. And the A's are really cascading quickly. This is a big series starting the night, but without the ability to close the game, and they don't have that ability. Green sees the ninth inning. He runs the other way. I mean, he's Man, great yeah. any other inning, but put him in the ninth inning, it's over. britain has gone. You can't count anybody else, and, and and frankly, I don't trust Chapman, even when he's good, no less now, where he is just impossible to believe in even a little bit. So I think they have really a big Achilles heel, and I think that will keep them from going a long way in the postseason.
1: Do you want to take 30 seconds to make fun of the Mets?
2: Uh, let me say this. The Mets, I was the only guy in town that I saw who made any mention of how bad the Lindor contract was. My point was, nobody ever comes here, ever. Some of the greatest players in history have come here and never played well in their first year here, never came, played well here when they had to justify a contract. He comes in, you knew this, you could predict it, okay? You could have got 100 million off the top if you just did nothing. He wasn't going anywhere. The bottom line is he not only does that, he brings buyers into Putin in the middle of the season. So now you got two of them, okay? It is such a disaster if I am the owner. And we haven't really seen from the owner yet because he's still learning. He's sitting back. He's real rich and he's real smart. And he's got a little mean street. So the bottom line is I think what he does now clean house, gives Theo the two points he wants, brings him in and lets him rebuild and try to win his championship with Theo. He didn't want to give Theo ownership, he didn't want to give him one point. Theo wants a couple of points. Is that true? He yeah, he wants the casting deal. Yeah, Theo wants points. I mean, everyone no, knows no, that. No, it's, it's, it's
1: the Pat Riley deal. Pat Riley invented that deal.
2: Yeah, well, really, you know, Theo is the answer because I think he believes if I go with Theo, it's the proven commodity. I'm going to overpay. I'm going to lose control a little bit, which he should forget commenting about everything publicly anyway, which he will as he becomes a more veteran owner. But the bottom line is I think, that's the way to go now i'm not saying i know he because i don't know the owner, so i'm not saying he, i know he will go theo i think that's the way he should go get theo let theo bring in his band of merry men he'll overpay all of them we know how theo's gonna be now he's gonna you know basically comment when he wants he's gonna be aloof he's gonna make a lot of money but he'll win and over a period of time he will get his championship and what this guy wants this guy wants to sit there and, dr- and just drown himself in the adulation of the fans with his family around him one time and win a championship. That's what he wants. That's the way he can get that if he goes with Theo.
1: Well, that's like those Milwaukee Bucks owners recently, Lazarus and Edens. these guys, they buy the Bucks they, and then when it actually works out and you win, you feel like you're a superhero.
2: Right, you know? they won. And let's be honest, they all won because the Lakers were hurt. If the Lakers weren't hurt or if the, Sons Suns hadn't completely lost their way, I mean, completely lost their way, and realized where they were. The coach realized where he was. Three or four of the young players realized where they were, and it was a disaster after that. I mean, they got roughed up physically the rest of the series, as we all know. But that team isn't winning any more championships. We all know that, okay? But they got their championship, and now they can bask in that. The owners there, Mark Lazzari and the guys, they can all bask in the fact that they got their championship. They got their rings. They can show everybody at the cocktail parties now.
1: Wow, I just think you put a giant chip on Giannis's shoulder. Giannis is sitting here thinking, I've moved into the Hakeem, Shaq, Moses stratosphere. I've got multiple titles, and here's Francesa being like, nah, you only won because these other teams were hurt. Enjoy enjoy your one ring, you're never getting
2: another one. Hey, let's be honest, okay? All he did was beat up some guys, put his shoulder down, go to the basket, finally make some free throws. Here's what I'll say about him, though. He's got some real, real ugly parts of this game. But let's be fair about one thing, and I want to be fair. He played so hard every minute on the court. I respect that. That's one thing LeBron always did. He played his rear end off every minute on the court. This kid played so hard and played both ends of the floor so hard. I give him great credit for that. But let's be honest, we weren't watching picturesque all-time playoff basketball here when he was just putting his shoulder down, knocking guys down on his way to the rim, either goes to the line and making 10 or 20, and then finally having some balls drop in the, in the end of the series. And then Chris Paul remembered, wait, I'm not supposed to ever win a championship, so let me go back <laughs> to being Chris Paul and get bullied by guys who, you know, a couple of years ago couldn't have played with me. And that's what happened. Chris Paul got pushed all over the court. The center got pushed all over the building, and, and it was over from there. I mean, and they didn't have enough they didn't have enough to get past that, and let's be honest, they had one shot to win, and they let it get away.
1: I think you're sure changing Giannis a little bit, like what a, what a, as a two way incredible athlete, like the stuff that he was able to do defensively, the ways that he can help his team. That's not just about like you know scoring and and like he had that iconic block and the alley oop, and I just thought his athleticism and how hard he played, which you just mentioned, like. The combo of those two things—it's really rare territory. It's like basically LeBron and Shaq in 2000. In the last his 20 skill, years,
2: his skill level though needs a little work. I mean, he's it 26. Really Come on, Mike. I mean, I mean, he just bulldozed. He he just basically put his shoulder down and went to the basket, which I give him credit for. He finally figured out that no one could stop me. But yeah, I think if they're playing against the Lakers, if they're playing against the now, Nets. I, I, I have, I have some problems with some of the Nets, so I don't want to talk about them today because we'll get to them sometime next year. But I'll tell you, if the Lakers didn't get hurt, you know they were winning that championship. Let's be honest. They were winning that championship. And if I cannot... not, the Nets were going to win it. The Nets and Lakers were on a different level than these teams. Uh, and Phoenix should have had enough. But like I said, you know, the clock struck midnight and they realized where they were and they weren't ready.
1: It was a very weird season. We have them sometimes. 2015 was weird. That that first Warriors title where it was like, oh, wait, they're actually going to win the title. This is weird. Yes. Sometimes you have this. All right. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, it's time. I don't have the NFL music that you used to play back in the That's day, it. but we're going to do buffet. some future bets. But we're taking a break. Come back. All right. NFL futures. I sent you a bunch of odds from FanDuel. I have been talking about this in my pod. I have some teams I like. Um, We'll just start here. Your favorite bet. Don't say the Giants. You're not allowed to talk about the Giants yet. Your favorite bet. Your favorite future. Is it an over-under to make the playoffs? Whatever. What do you like the most?
2: Saints over nine. I think the number is really low. I think the Saints have really screwed up the last couple of years. And the reason why is Sean didn't know how to get rid of Drew Brees when he needed to get rid of Drew Brees. Drew Brees was damaged goods, couldn't play at all, and it really hurt them. And I understand what he meant to the city, to the franchise, to everything. So it's a very difficult thing to do when you have that kind of player. But Sean was between a rock and a hard place and it cost him. If he will just put Winston in there, coach him up, where you take away some of the bad throws because he can make every good throw and then use the other kid as a change of pace and use them on running downs and use them as you don't know, like to use the secondary quarterback. They are a team that I think can easily win 11 or 12 games. They have a lot of talent on that team, a real lot of talent. And it's talent that has been misspent the last couple of years. I think the Saints will have a big year.
1: All right, their over-under is nine.
2: Nine. I I don't think that's any problem. I actually think it's a gift.
1: So 10 and seven, they win. They're plus 330 for the division. They're minus 110 to make the playoffs. You know, when you were talking about Breeze last year, it reminded me of um, the last eight years of Derek Jeter's career. Kind of the same thing. Just holding on the legacy. You feel bad. You don't want to kick him to the curb. It's really like Jeter from 06 on, basically? 07? Yeah, but you know
2: what? You don't get exposed... You don't get exposed, even when you slow down in baseball, you don't get exposed like you do a quarterback. Because here's a guy who could not make, he could not make a legitimate throw that they needed on second or third down. And if he had made one or two, they could have easily won a championship, easily won a championship. Matter of fact, let me say this. Everyone talks about Tom, Okay. And, and, and what Tom has done keeping himself in shape and what he did in Tampa and everything and what he did when he had to make the certain play, but Tom didn't play really well in the postseason. So matter of fact, if that ball isn't stripped when the Saints are up in the third quarter and the tight ends running free and yeah. the safety on Tampa doesn't strip the ball clean, the Saints are going to win that game and play. In and playing the Super Bowl. That was the biggest play in the postseason without any question. And they had, you know, Thompson, three picks in the second half of the title game. You don't win those games usually when you throw three picks in the second half of that game. He got bailed out by his defense when it happened. When he needed to make a play, he made it. And, Things broke really right, but you can never take anything away from him because he's done it so many times. But I thought the Saints had the best talent last year, and I thought Brees really held them back. And I know it was a very hard thing for Sean to deal with. I'll tell you something else that I noticed, Bill. Belichick's on Mount Rushmore. We all know that, okay? There are a couple other really good coaches in the league. Andy Reid, as everyone should have realized a long time ago. I've been telling people for 10 years, now they all know Andy's a really good coach. Although we had a terrible championship game last year. Terrible Super Bowl. Uh, and we can talk about that if you want, but um, there of the coaching in the league right now at the head coaching position in the NFL is the weakest I've ever seen in my life. There are Mm. so many bad coaches, it's unbelievable. There used to be a lot of good coaches 10, 12, 14 good coaches. Man, there are so many bad coaches in this league now, it's unbelievable, or unproven coaches. It's amazing how many unproven coaches there are in the NFL now.
1: Well, so. If you have somebody like Peyton or Belichick, it's an even bigger advantage. Big it does advantage. seem like there's, yeah, that, it does seem like there's more turnover with coaching than there's ever been before, and these coaching trees now. that never work. Yeah, the owners they get impatient. Um, they
2: used to wait. They used to wait a cycle. They used to wait three or four years. Now it cycles one or two years tops and they'll go one year with a guy. Now, if they don't like him. they'll go one year. If he can't handle the media, they'll go one year with a guy. Or if he does something really stupid, they'll go one year with a guy now. So you'll get those kind of changes. But when you look at the, at it's at, at coaching, the quality, the real bona fide Tom Coughlin's of the world, they're not in this league right now there. You got your stars. I mean, you got Belichick, you got Andy, they're Hall of Famous, You got Sean Payton, who's a really solid coach. There's some good coaches in the league. Mike Zimmer's a good coach, not a great coach. He's a good coach. Tomlin. Tomlin's, Tomlin's a good, solid coach. There are a lot of stars, and there's a lot of weak guys. And then there's the Urban Meyer situation. Here is a college god. Here is a man who was not a good college coach. He was one of the greatest college coaches in history. He changed everything anytime he put his hand on it. He went 187 and 32 with three titles. The man has been a coaching God. And now it's going to be fascinating to watch. But if he tries to do it with a first year quarterback, no matter how talented he is, and Lawrence is going to be a great quarterback. He's going to be, the bottom line for Lawrence is he's a 10 year starter. That's the worst that could happen. The best is he becomes a Peyton Manning. And I think he will be that kind of quarterback. Um, over time, but it doesn't happen in the first year. Aikman won no games. Uh, Peyton went three and thirteen. It's very hard to win when you try to break in a guy who's going to be your franchise quarterback because that means he's staying no matter what all year, unless he gets hurt. And it's hard to win games that way. And that's going to be interesting to watch. Urban is trying to win games and bring the quarterback along at the same time. It's a very hard thing to do.
1: I had them as a super duper duper only because of the odds sleeper in the AFC South because I think that division's going to suck. And then you, I actually watched them in the preseason, and they they literally can't block the Urban Meyer thing, new new coach, they, all that stuff. The running, the rookie running back gets hurt, they
2: lose ATN. And listen, when you have this kind of pressure on you as a as a new quarterback, if you look historically, all of them, what you're talking about Elway. Manning Aikman Terry Bradshaw who wanted to quit in Pittsburgh he got benched three different times I mean it took him years these guys who are all time greats they don't come out and do it Dan Marino's the only one who came in and was just brilliant from, from, from Jump Street there are very few of those it's very hard to do I, I think it would be hard for them to win more than five or six games very hard if you're going to play them all year
1: And they're over under six and a half. Back to the Saints for a second. I was off them. I actually thought if there was going to be a team other than Tampa, I thought Atlanta was interesting just because they had some bad luck last year. They got Pitts coming in. I think the Julio... Pitts is going to be
2: great. Pitts is is going to be great.
1: great. Julio was playing eight, nine games a year. New coach, Arthur Smith. So I was like, oh, Atlanta. Two things with New Orleans. Um, You mentioned last year they really were maybe like two or three breaks away from making the Super Bowl. A lot of those guys are back. I was scared by the Michael Thomas thing. Just the fact that he waited so long to get the surgery. That just seemed like a soap opera. But now they have this kid, Marquez Callaway, who's just it's he's like he's the
2: next Michael Thomas. Hey, so there's and then always you, another wide receiver coming. There's always the, especially in the wide Saints. Receiver. They
1: always have another one coming. Up. But then you look at their schedule. They play the AFC East, so they get the Jets. And then they play the NFC East, which is going to be the worst division out of the eight. So you have that, plus you have you know they get the Panthers, Falcons. They get to play. Um, they have one tough stretch, week seven to ten, at Seattle Monday night. Bucks, Falcons at Tennessee. And if they get through that with like two and two or something, you're right. They could, they should be able to go ten and seven. I like. Bill, that one, here's like, the
2: thing about them, and you know this because you know this stuff. They can line up and play with anybody, any day, anywhere, anytime. There's nobody they can't beat. There's nobody they can't line up and beat 27-17 on a Sunday anywhere in the league. They have that kind of talent. They have that kind of talent on their offensive line, defensive line, skill positions, quarterback. Now, Winston, here's what he has to do. He has got to get 10 interceptions out of this game. If he does that, he's going to have a big year. He is a great deep thrower. But the problem is he throws a lot of bad balls. Winston thinks he can make every play. He thinks there's no play he can't make. You've got to teach him you can't make this throw. It's if he can just take one or two throws out of the game plan, he can be really good because he's a great deep ball thrower.
1: I'm pro Winston. The dude threw for 5,200 yards. Granted, there were a bunch of terrible, terrible, terrible interceptions, but you know he. Can't, it's not like you're putting in Joe Flacco. Uh, you you mentioned the Giants before we got on the Zoom, right? So. NFCs quickly. Dallas is plus 130 to win the division. Giants are plus 400 Phillies plus 470 and Washington is plus 260 and they have the best over under of eight and a half. I like Washington the most. I can't get there with Daniel Jones. I just, I've said this before, but I just feel like after two years, I've just kind of decided on you as a quarterback. I don't think you're showing me a lot after two years, you kind of you are who you are. You might be in a better situation, but that he's just too sloppy with the ball. I don't, I don't think that's ever changing, but you're more optimistic.
2: I'm not optimistic about the quarterback. I'm optimistic about the coach. The coach is good. The coach is the real deal, I believe, from what I've seen, and I don't know him very well, uh, but they're going to be good on specials. They are really good on defense. I'm telling you, they are going to be better on defense. Than they've been in a long time. They spent a lot of money on defense. They spent a lot. They brought in a lot of players. Uh, they spent a fortune on on guys. Now, offensive line, question mark. Quarterback, big question mark. Even the health of the running back, big question mark. But it's seven wins. There is not a top team in that division. Nobody's a top team. Every game in that division is going to be a hard-fought game. Every game. Them in Washington, hard-fought games. Them in the Cowboys, hard-fought games. Eagles, I think are going to need a year. I think everyone feels that. Bottom line is, I think they can easily get to 500. I'm not saying they'll win the division. I take it 400, they're a good buy By the way, they there really is no... Are.
1: There is yeah. no five hundred anymore. You just need them
2: to get to eight and well, nine. Well, I mean, I mean, get yeah. over five hundred. Yeah, I mean, right. you can get over five hundred. It's seven. Obviously, there's no five hundred. We know that. But my point is, I think it's seven. I actually bet him at six and a half. It's seven now. I think it's seven. They still go over. And I don't love the quarterback. I'm with you. He makes way too many mistakes. This is a this is a real big year for him. Real big year for him. And I think he has got to take a big quantum leap forward or his career will be short there. They are going to stick with this coach. Take my word for it. They are going to. This coach was handpicked by Bill Belichick. They are going to stick with this coach. Gettleman, he should have been gone years ago. Eventually, he'll go. George is going to be there for a while. They are committed to him. It's going to be his team. He will not. He will get to. Play, he will get to break in another quarterback with this team. He will not get lose his job because of the quarterback. Other coaches have lost their job because of the quarterback. There, he will not. They believe in Judge. And, you know, he got, I'm telling you, Bill Belichick had a lot to do with Judge getting the job there. A lot to do. He's very close with the Maras, He always has been. And the Maras listened to him. He had a lot to say about that. And they like Judge a lot. And I've, everything I've seen from Judge is solid. He's got his hands on special teams. The Giants come to play hard every week. They don't take weeks off. Their game plan is good. And that's one of the things. There's two things I learned a long time ago in this league. You got to do as a head coach. You got to give your team a plan they can win with and then get them to play hard. If you can do those two things, you're going to be successful over the long run. He does that. He does it every week. The quarterback is a big issue. I agree with you 100%. That's what holds him back where I can't say the Giants are going to win 10. But I think they'll easily get over seven. The other team that I Wait, like, hold, hold I on. We... On the
1: Giants quick. Yeah. I like that you said it was a big year for Daniel Jones. I, I'll, I'll say this he might be on get up in two years as one of the co-hosts. It might be him and Mike Greenberg <laughs> and Marcus Spears. Like, so when you say it's a big year, like ESP, the ESPN talent scouts are circling him already. Like, Oh, he, this guy could be our next Dan Orlovsky. Um, this wait, is a
2: very big year. Yes. Wait, very can we do year. the
1: giant schedule quick? You and dog yeah. used to do this way back when. Yeah. Give me win loss for each one. Ready? Here yep. we go. Week one, home Denver. Win. Win. Okay. We're one and no. Week two, at Washington, Thursday night, four days later.
2: Lose by a field goal.
1: Week three, home Atlanta. Win. Week four, at the Saints. Lose. All right, two and two. Now we're heading into a gauntlet here. Week five, at Dallas. You always win in Dallas and then lose at home.
2: I think they lose.
1: Okay, two and three. Rams, week six. Lose. Oh, God, we're two and four. Uh Uh-oh. Panthers home. This feels like a win, possibly.
2: Yep. I think All they right. win that.
1: Three and four. Week eight, at Chiefs, Monday night.
2: No, they're dead. That, that's over.
1: All right. You're three and five. Then you yep. got the Raiders at home in week nine.
2: That's a win. Raiders, I think, are, are not going anywhere Anywhere strong. I, I, I do not worry about the Raiders.
1: Me neither. All right. So you're four and five. You're heading into a bye. You come out of the bye at Tampa Monday night. No, they'll lose that game. All right, four and seven. I feel like that could be the game where they actually. Brady throws four, four picks. Yeah, the Giants. The, right, four, four and six. And six. So yeah. Brady throws four picks. Everybody says Brady's washed up, and then he ends up winning every game the rest of the way.
3: I, right.
2: I'm not even crazy enough to think they win there, although I think Tampa's going to have a tougher year than people think.
1: I do as well. Um, no Giants, Brady stuff. All right. I thought I was baiting you on that one. Uh, week 12, Eagles home.
2: That's a win. Eagles going to have the worst team in the division.
1: All right, so you're five and six. At Miami, at Chargers, back-to-back.
2: I think they split them.
1: All right, you're six and seven. Home, Dallas? Win. Seven and seven. Now you need one of these next three. At Eagles, at Chicago, home, Washington.
2: I think they can win two of those three.
1: So you're nine and eight.
2: There you go. That's what I'm figuring.
1: Wow, confident. A lot of people do like that over. And I
2: didn't give them a crazy win. I don't think they're going to win in Kansas City. First of all, I think Kansas City is going to win the whole thing. Okay, Um, make
1: make the case. I want to hear that.
2: Listen, I think all Andy had to do, he got very unlucky last year. The thing with his son was a nightmare. Uh, When it happened was a nightmare. But more than that, the injuries to the offensive line when they happened were things he couldn't fix. But here's where I thought Andy really blew it. Andy went in that game and said, I don't care that we can't block them. We're going to run our offense, and Mahomes is going to make enough plays that we're going to break plays downfield and still win the game. You know what they found out? Mahomes, as good as he is, couldn't do that when he couldn't get any help at the line of scrimmage. And they never made an adjustment. They didn't make an adjustment in the second half. They didn't come out and do the things that we thought they would do to change things in the second half. And even Tampa challenged them to do some stuff and said, are you going to do this the whole game? And Mahomes was on the run. A couple of balls could have been caught. We know he made some amazing throws that could have been caught. They were dropped. The bottom line is he had a rough day. He thought that he could live with the passing game, even though he had no offensive line. He went out. He spent his whole offseason rebuilding the offensive line. That's all he did. He has skill everywhere else. I think they are impossible to stop. I think Buffalo was the second best team in the AFC. I think I was wrong about Josh Allen. I admit it. I never Me thought too. he'd be this good a player. I did not I, I did not think he was ever going to be accurate. And accuracy is something a quarterback has to have. He has developed himself into a wonderful player. I, was, I admit I'm dead wrong about, about Allen. Uh, I didn't like him like this. A lot of people, uh, I think, didn't, but won't admit it now. Maybe they will. But I admit that I was wrong about him. That team is really good. Uh, I don't think enough to win in Kansas City. I think the Chiefs will go back to the Super Bowl again, and they will win this time.
1: Chiefs five to one. Chiefs over under is 12 and a half Chiefs to win the conference is plus two fifty. I am. I haven't made my uh, like best record in the league bets, the one seed bets, stuff like that. I've been looking at Buffalo
2: a lot though, because there's two, there's two teams in the AFC. Buffalo and Kansas City are ahead above everybody else.
1: Yeah, and maybe if, if somebody crashes that, I think it's going to be Cleveland would be my pick because I think they have a lot of talent. I know they're the Browns. I know they have...
2: I don't trust the quarterback to be on that I get level, it. to be honest with you. I get it. Uh, but I, agree. I, I think Cleveland's okay. I'll tell you who I think is going to be improved. I think the Pats are going to be improved. I really do. I think they're going to, be, they're going to surprise some people. I think hold, Wait, Dewey, hold that, hold I don't that thought. Think, I don't think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Though. I don't think they're going to be that no. kind of team. But I think they're going to be much better. I really do.
1: I'm coming to them in one second because I wanted to give you these bills bets. Bills to get the one seed plus four seventy.
2: Don't like it. I think Chiefs, Chiefs will have
1: the one. Chiefs is two to one. So you I go still, two to one for that. Okay.
2: Unless Mahomes gets hurt or they lose somebody like Kelsey or Mahomes, I, I think that Chiefs will be the one seed.
1: You're not worried about receiver death with the Chiefs. Okay. Bills best record was ten to one. Just giving you that one as well. All right, Pat's. You brought the pass. I'm glad that's you did. a pretty good
2: value. I got to admit, because I think they only have to beat one team to do that. So I, th- I don't think it's going to come out of the NFC. I think it's going to be Kansas City or Buffalo. So I think that one at 10 to 1 is a, is a, if you want value, that's a hell of a value. It really is
1: for the, for Buffalo. Yeah. They
2: have best record. I agree. What are Chiefs to have best record?
1: That's, uh, I think, five to one.
2: I, I would, Buffalo, they're giving you a great value on that bet. That's a good bet to make just on value. Thinking if you had Kansas City have an injury uh buffalo to me is the second best team in the afc by a lot
1: i don't know if you can parlay props on fanduel but Allen was i think 13 to 1 to win mvp and best record was 10 to 1 and i feel like those two things would happen simultaneously I would so you could either do both of those or if you could parlay those whatever all right my, I would beloved, my beloved new england patriots and our new lord and savior back jones Pats to make the playoffs plus one twenty five. Pats over is nine. There's been a lot of action. That's minus one forty. I actually think the over should be nine and a half. Great defense. Their running backs. They probably have the best collection of running backs in the league. They were just able to give away Sony Michel. They them. love this Stephenson. Rams. They love. They oh my love God, Stephenson. he's been a monster. They improved the receivers. Their offensive yes. line, I think, is high level. Not only can they block, they're really good, and their front seven is. Potentially dominant against some of these matchups. I really like them. I think they're. I think it's eleven and six.
2: I think it is too. I agree with you. I have no argument. I agree. I think that it took him a year to consolidate everything. I think he understood what he wanted to do. He got the quarterback that he wanted the whole time. Uh, I do think Cam Newton will have a good year, and I also think that uh, Jones is going to be very good. Um, uh, I Cam think Newton. That-
1: He's Cam Newton's going to be off the team in a week.
2: No, I think Camlin's going to contribute. I really think so. Really? Yeah, I do. I think they'll both stay. I think they'll both play. And I would be surprised. I think is going to play well. I really do. I think that they will have a good year out of both guys. I think eventually Cam will turn the job over somewhere, in probably in the middle of the season. But I think that both quarterbacks will get plenty of action. And I think that it seems going to be vastly improved. And I also think the division, other than Buffalo, still has growing pain. So I think that, uh, I think they're going to be good. I, I, I wouldn't, I'd say 10 is pretty solid for the past. Anyway, I don't know about 11, maybe 10 will be solid, but I, I think they will be an over. Yes.
1: You know, Belichick pretty well. You've been a Belichick student over the years.
2: Yeah. Do we you don't like think, each other, but I mean, we don't no, I know, along, but, but, I mean, you, but I mean, but I, but I've, 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 I've followed them for 30 years. Yeah.
1: yeah. You have a legit feel for him. Yes. Do you think he wanted Mac Jones all along? And yes. that he did a Kaiser Sose kind of pretending he didn't, not trying to trade up because he studied the board and knew Mac Jones was going to fall to fifteen.
2: Yes. Or do you think, think it that, was
1: or do you think it was they fell into it a little bit, but he didn't totally love it?
2: No, I think he wanted them all along. Okay. I think he it wanted se- them it all. It seems along. like the Saints were
1: trying to trade up ahead of them and couldn't get there. So once the center wanted, fell to the Chargers, they were they were golden, it seemed like.
2: I think he wanted them all along. I think it's I think it's what he wanted. Uh, I I think the Brady wins stung him more than you think.
3: Mm, I think explain him
2: because you know what it's like a seesaw. One legacy tips as the other legacy. It's who wins without whom, who does what. He Even noticed that his other his other person in his life made some Tom Brady comments about how he didn't really play that well in the playoffs. Who you said know,
1: that? His, well, Br- Belichick's girlfriend said that. Yes,
2: yes, she did. I she said in the wintertime. Yes. Wow. And, and you know, she was right. She, the points she made were well were well taken. He he had he had some rough moments in the postseason. He did have the defense kick in and do some big things. And I think that he'd never admit that, but I think that bothered him. Hey, he's human, and he also knows his place in history. They both do. they both covered their place in history. You know, Walsh and Montana went this tit-for-tat thing all the time, too. And I think these guys do also. And I think Brady does. And I think Belichick does. And they'll never admit it, but I think they do. It's part of human nature. You know that. It's, it's, how, they, it's how the great ones keep score. Their score is different. They keep score differently. And he and Tom... There's a little bit of a yin and yang. He leads them and wins a Super Bowl his first year. It's had his thing. It had his thing. There's no way around it.
1: It's a little like Kobe Shaq, where Kobe was pretty open about it. he wanted to win one more title than Shaq. I think with the Belichick thing, you made the key point. He cares about his place in history and how he relates to all the years of the league, all the other coaches winning whatever his legacy is, I think way more than people realize. Like he oh. he had documentary crews following them around for entire they year, like midway do. through it. He they cares. Do. I don't think people realize that he cares though. I
2: they think they feel because
1: he sucks in press conferences that he doesn't give a shit about this stuff. I think he does. Here's
2: the here's the real truth, Phil. They all do. They yeah. all do. Okay. I don't care if you're talking about Krzyzewski, Knight, Parcells, Belichick, Walsh. They all do. They care. They care about whether they are, how they compare to each other. They care about where they stack up with Lombardi and Paul Brown. And and those guys, they play in different generations, so there's no way to compete against them. But this, you don't think Belichick would like to win one without Tom? He would love to win one without Tom.
1: Well, I'll tell you the issue with the Pats. Gilmar's not 100% yet. I think he's going to start the year on PUP. Um, They're a cornerback short. I They're not, it's not bad. It's not like, Oh my God, our, our D backs are a disaster, but it's the one piece that if they get the Gilmore thing, right. And they give him an extension, maybe, I don't know how that's going to play out, but they're, they're a shut down corner short. They have depth, but they don't have like that one guy until he comes back. If he comes back,
2: they'd have to get a lot of help from the weather to beat mm. either the chiefs or the, or, or the, or the bills. They wouldn't beat them on a fast field. Either one of them.
1: Well, that would involve maybe trying to, top one of them but you know who knows yeah, I, I mean, mean they, yeah. they play the afc south and the nfc south they have a lot of easy games but i think in the they're schedule. gonna have a
2: good year and i think and i think his edge when you realize it i mean when you look at the coaches you line them up after you get through the first couple there's not a lot there there really isn't when you look at it and there's yeah. a lot of unproven coaches and he has a big edge every week and let's be honest he intimidates these young coaches i mean they're looking across the field and a guy they grew up watching. It's like having Lombardi on the other side. I mean, he's worth points just there standing across the field. Right. Just being on the field with him. He is that big a, a, a coaching legend now. He's that good.
1: Well, it would be really fun if we got Chiefs-Pats at some point during this whole thing. Let me give you a couple more bets before you go. Good, good. Uh, worst record? You could just go chalk. You could take, uh, Houston, I mean, Houston if they Houston's two to one lions yeah. are
2: four to one. I don't think lions for this reason. Dan Campbell is a psycho. <laughs> he's, he, I'm telling you, I go back with him. He's a psycho. And you know what? I think he's going to be a good coach. It's not going to come this year. Uh, and I don't like his quarterback. But I'll tell you something. He's a psycho, and he will push his players really, really hard. He believes in that. It's that's how he's cut. And uh, I, I would say the whole Houston thing looks like a complete. Let's just get through the year and get to, you know the first pick kind of thing. You know,
1: mm. Rams. Do, are you where do you stand on Stafford these days? With a real coach and real weapons and a huge six billion dollar stadium and all these things he just didn't have in Detroit.
2: Rams finally have a quarterback, a real quarterback. Uh, Stafford, if he's healthy, and he's been beat up a lot, he's got a lot of scar tissue on him, but he is the real deal as a quarterback. He has been, people don't realize how good Stafford is physically. He's a really talented player. He could have had a different career if he had been somewhere else, but they finally have a quarterback, and if they had had any semblance of quarterback, they would have beat the Pats in the Super Bowl their quarterback played so abominably in that game, he never got over it. And he shouldn't because he was so bad, he stunk the house out in that game. He really did. He had open receivers all over the field and never hit them all day. I mean, it was a, a joke how bad he was in that game. They should have they won that Super Bowl.
1: Rams 10 and a half for, uh, for wins. Two to one for the division.
2: I'd say over. Uh, I don't love the Rams. And I'm not on the, I, I'm not on, uh, the McVay bandwagon as much as some people are. But uh, I think he's solid. Uh, I think they'll have a good year. I think I think the Niners will have a bounce back year, but I think they'll have a good year. All
1: right, um, the rookie QBs—that'll be the last thing we talk about. So we talked. You already mentioned Lawrence. Yes. Um, Justin Fields on the Bears—they're all excited about him, even though they're not going to be able to block for them. We'll talk about Jason Goff for that in a second. Mac Jones looks good. Um, Trey Lance—I'm sure we'll see him, but I don't think he's going to be. I, I think they'll be careful with how they bring him in. He's pretty young still. Zach Wilson on the New York Jets. Um, what is your take? Did you like the pick? Do you think he's going to be good? What have you seen so far? What's your reaction?
2: Everybody's saying nice things about him right now. I noticed early last year that BYU was beating everybody by 50 points like everybody else did, Okay, which they did all year last year. I didn't see him play a lot last year, so I didn't feel like I had as much of a a feel on him as I might some other quarterback at a a school that you see more of and and better competition against. Um, I'm hearing good things. I think he'll be good. I think he will be better than, because he's going to get better Coach, What went on there the last couple of years was was not Donald's fault. I think Donald's going to fit in very well in Carolina, and I also think Rule's a good coach. I mm. think Carolina's going to have a pretty good year this year. I think they had a good year last year. They played very competitively. I think rules are very good. He's an up and coming coach. He's one of the up and coming coaches in the league. I think he's very good. A lot of teams wanted him. You know, Jets almost hired him. They made a big yeah. mistake by not getting him. They almost hired him. And, uh, he looks like the real thing. And I think they will be much improved and they, they could go over their number this year, which I believe is seven and a half. It is. I'm not expecting big things from the Jets. And they've also had a million injuries on defense. So T guys are ready uh jets need to get that offensive line straightened out i don't think it is yet uh they have some wide receivers now especially good things they're saying about elijah moore being very explosive i think they'll have their moments i think wilson will probably uh be okay i think he'll be passable and he'll give people reason for optimism i don't think he'll be the next coming of broadway joe but i think he will uh at least he won't have people you know jumping out of buildings
1: I'm going to go backwards. I want you to see how many Jets coaches you can name in a row going backwards before you forget what the next person is. All right. So we'll start Sal Azizi. You mentioned him. Gase, you know, he was the coach. Who was the, K- Who was the coach before Adam Gase? Um,
2: man, I I'll probably forget <laughs> right away. You know, that, and now I haven't thought about it in a long time. It was time, four, um, years of, four years of Todd Bowles. So oh, geez, Todd was there for four years. Who who is, who is before yeah. Todd Bowles?
1: You get the? Can you get this one? Who was before Todd Bowles? He was there uh, for six years. Beat the Patriots. Oh, Rex. Rex. Yeah. Who who was
2: before Rex? Uh, before Rex was uh, Mangini. Who was before Mangini? Who never, who never should have been fired who never should have been fired. He won two out of three years there. Yeah. Ten games and nine games. And if he could have got along with the owner, I think could have been a long time coach there. And I think he's a talented coach. I really do.
1: And there was a lot of talent that he left behind. Do you remember who was before him? Herm. All right. Now it's going to, you may get this actually. Who was, who was right before Herm? One year only. Al Groh. Al Groh. Then your guy Parcells.
2: Parcells. And then Parcells. Do you remember who was before Parcells? Uh, before Parcells was particularly fearsome. No, that oh, that's Patriots. that's New England. Hold on, wait a second. No, wait a second, wait a second. Before Parcells was... Uh, one of was, the oh, great... Oh, oh well, what's called? Rich Cotite.
1: Cotite, good. All right. Then one year of...
2: Before, before
1: Yeah. It was a one year and out.
2: One year before Cotite.
1: Before Cotite. <laughs> I love the Jets. Jets history it should be its own podcast. It was uh, your guy, Pete Carroll.
2: Oh, yeah. One year. Oh, yeah. Because you know what? He went 6-10. and 10. He lost his last five games. Pete went 6-10 one year, right? Absolutely. So, that's, you, so you, he was right. out. And before that was Bruce Cosler.
1: And then before that was our guy, Joe Walton. And then, Joe we, Walton, then it goes who backwards. Away, who
2: just passed away. And before that, yeah. Walt Michaels.
1: I mean, that's a lot of coaches for and one before, team. And before,
2: Walt Michaels was probably Charlie Winner.
1: That's a lot of coaches, Mike.
2: A lot of coaches, yeah, and, and, and a lot of and a lot of bad decisions. And it's funny, you know, Parcells was only there three years because of the ownership changed. You know, if Leon had lived, he would have stayed, but he didn't. What he came in, they didn't really hit it off. And Groh took over for one year. Then he went to Virginia. Uh, then they went through the years. Obviously, with Herm, you know, Mangini built the foundation, and Rex won his first two years with Mangini's players, and yep. then saw Jeff and his own players, and he was terrible. And then they fell apart. Mangini was the guy. And listen, I'm not blaming the Jets for Mangini because he was not able to get along with anybody, and he really didn't even treat the owner with respect. Yeah, he needed to grow up. If he could have been a different person, he could have been a long time coach in this league. He went, he won ten games and nine games in three years there. He should have been there for a long time, uh, but he needed to grow up and. There's a guy who should be coaching in the league. Too bad he's not, because he has a lot of talent.
1: Well, then back to Zach Wilson. Since Ken O'Brien in 1991, here are all the people that led the Jets in passing. Ready? Go ahead. Browning Nagel. Right. Boomer Esiason. Frank Reich.
3: Neil O'Donnell.
1: I was brought here to win games. (laughs) Vinny Testaverde. Ray Lucas. Vinny Testaverde again twice. Chad Pennington. Yep, yep. Some guy named Bollinger. I don't even remember Bollinger. Yeah, Who remember. was Bollinger? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Rick two, Meyer played seven games one, for Parcells one time when, when Benny was hurt.
1: Chad Pennington, two years in a row. Farb yeah. once. Forrest Sanchez, two Tua Smith. Was it? What Smith was that? I don't even remember. Geno Smith. Oh, yeah. Geno Smith. Two of Fitzpatrick, McCown, and Darnold. Oh. So they've had, I think, 13 quarterbacks lead them in passing since
2: 1991. That is, that is paying for the deal with the devil that brought them Joe, uh, Broadway Joe. That's what right. that is. That was it's the guarantee.
1: A, That's what happens. They got,
2: they, got the, they got the great quarterback who gave them you know, the day at the top of the mountain and became the biggest star in the world. And since then, they've had to live with everything. that, that They had their moments. You know, Vinny went 29 touchdowns, seven intercepts when they went to the AFC title game under Parcells and led 10-0. And I made the dumbest statement of my life. I am sitting in the first row with my wife, Row, in Denver. Mm. Atlanta has just upset Minnesota, which was 15-1 that year, on the missed kick, okay? Atlanta wins. I'm watching it on the scoreboard. They're up tight end from Oregon. Blocks a field goal. They're up 10-0 now. Okay, the Jets. I turned to my wife and said, Jets will destroy Atlanta. We are going to win the Super Bowl. The Jets did not make a forward gain the rest of the game. <laughs> they got outscored 23 to nothing. And yeah. I was in the airport four hours later saying, am I the biggest dope? I am never going to say anything like that again as long as I live.
1: Yeah, and the Terrell Davis, the rest was history. Oh uh, That's
3: why... Know, uh- you know, that guy was great. Day, that, I was down wind- with
1: him for Hall of Fame because that guy for f- four or five years, whatever it was, that guy was unbelievable.
2: The the game is 10-0. It's very windy. Testaverde's playing great. Elway comes out with a half waggle and throws it 55 yards down the field. It's complete. But they come, at, they come back and they're moving the ball. Byers fumbles it. Every good jet fumbled the ball. The most dependable players he ever had all fumbled the ball. Mm. And it was a nightmare. And they lost 23 to 10. And, you know, they would have killed Atlanta in the Super Bowl, but have killed them. Atlanta was terrible. And then Denver went and killed Atlanta in the Super Bowl. I'll never forget that as long as I live. They were up to you know, nothing in the third quarter.
1: It's a really, there's so many of those in sports, right? Like Milwaukee just had one where they steal a title and the years pass and everybody be like, Milwaukee wins the title. And, You look at KD's foot on the line, and that just flips the playoffs, right? You're right. If the Jets, if the Jets just get through that Denver game somehow and don't completely fall apart, and they beat Atlanta, then where's Parcells now? I mean, Parcells is number, but he's like he's number one. Belichick would have had been been trying to, and then finally gotten past him with the Atlanta game, probably. But Parcells would have been hovering over
2: everybody forever. Unbelievable. And I'm telling you, and he wanted to win because he knew that Mr. Hess was very sick. Yeah. And he knew he wasn't going to be around very long and he wanted to get him that championship. And that was probably the toughest loss he ever had. That or the Ram game that they lost, what we, you know, uh, uh, to the Rams in 89, which they thought they had a Super Bowl team, and they went up winning it 90, but they should have won. The Rams came back and beat them in overtime, remember, in, in that game. Um, and they played
1: terribly that day. It, but but it, um, that all evened out because they never yeah. should have won the Roger Craig game.
2: Right. You're, I mean, come know, on. I, I, I was at that game, too. And and listen, they got they made a miraculous play, obviously, in that game to, to, to even get the ball back. So you, you're right about that. And those do have a, a way of evening it out. But, you know, the Jets are due for some luck. I don't know what to make of this coach. I've watched him on TV jump around, obviously, like everybody else. I don't know him. He's been very, very much out there. He's been at a lot of games. Uh, I was at an island. The playoff game. He was there. I saw him on TV in the net playoff games. I heard him taking, he got ripped for taking a police escort from New Jersey to the garden, which you don't do. Yeah, Uh, uh, He got, so he's out there trying to be a little bit of a celebrity before he coaches any games. Let's see how he does. I don't know how he's going to do. What's your thought on the Jets coach?
1: I, I thought he was going to get the Lions job. And then I heard he just didn't do well in the interview. Everybody says he's a defensive genius, all that stuff. But I, I I don't know, I, it, it's weird to me, you have the defensive genius, but then you put all your chips behind this rookie quarterback. I would kind of want the coach that his main job was making the rookie quarterback awesome. So I don't know, who's their offensive coordinator? Like they, you know, they're gonna have well, to figure well, out who the McDaniels is for the situation well, now, if they have a defensive now, now coach. They,
2: now they lost Knapp, who was gonna be coaching the quarterback, which is a, right. you now obviously. So they've already had tragedy and they've lost a lot of defensive players. So I think obviously it's gonna take them a year. Which one of the rookie quarterbacks do you think is gonna be the best?
1: Lawrence. I think yeah. Lawrence. Uh, the, he's I think have Lawrence his is like pains,
2: though. He's I, I get it. pains.
1: But worst case scenario, he's Andrew Luck. I mean, I don't I don't see how he's anything lower than that.
2: One guy that I really believe in who I think is, a, has a, I won't say who he is, but he has a great history with quarterbacks said to me, I said, what's the downside with Lawrence? He said, the downside is he's a 12 year starter. And you say, boy, you know, he never was as good as we really thought. He said, The upside is he's Peyton Manning or an all-time great. He said, he said, he's got everything. He's got everything that Aikman had, that Elway had, that Peyton had, you know, and Peyton never had the great arm, you know, Elway and Aikman had arms, you know, Peyton did it without a great arm. He didn't have a great arm. Uh, But, uh, and that's what people have to realize. He never had that kind of dynamic arm that the other guys had. Lawrence has the arm. I mean, he has everything. He's grounded. He's, he's got the whole deal. He's going to be a big star in this league for a long time. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to see how... You remember something? Urban Meyer has never lost. He doesn't understand losing. He's never had a losing streak. He lost 32 games in his whole life. He's 178-32 and with three titles. He's a coaching god. He doesn't know how to lose. How he handles losing is going to be very interesting.
1: Lawrence, to me... I'm crossing sports, but it reminds me of when Anthony Davis was in the draft and it was just like, worst case scenario, this guy is still going to be really good. Like, that's our worst case scenario. He'll make like four all-star teams. That's how Lawrence is just, he checks every box.
2: And, you know, once in a while, a guy comes in the league that just cannot miss the Atlanta tight end. Mm. You can just write it down. He is going to be an absolute stud superstar player from Game one. Get ready for it. It is coming. He has got the whole he's just one of those guys. Cannot miss. Cannot miss.
0: And
1: it's funny because the legacy of the awesome tight ends, it's like Gronk's the best. Kelsey's getting close. Real close. Gonzalez. Kittles is
2: good. And Kittles is really good too.
1: Yeah. But like Pitts just seems like he will immediately go in that class. He will eighty catches, hundred and or twelve hundred yards, eleven TDs. Like it'll just you can see where it's going. Um, Mike, it was awesome to see you.
2: Hey, listen, how's everything going? How's life? Good.
1: Every everything is fantastic. How's life with you? A lot of golf. Everything.
2: everything a lot of is sunshine. Great. Playing a lot of golf. Uh, also, you know, whenever you have an exciting uh, young horse, it's good. We have the, the. It's a little early to rank them, but we have, depending on what you think, the second or third best two-year-old in the country right now. Whoa! What's His the name? name? Is Hi- he won wow. the Saratoga Special. He'll run the Champagne on October 2nd at Belmont. Um, uh, my partner, uh, Leon Slider, who is the guy who runs Casamigos Tequila for Clooney and, and, and Randy. Uh, he's my partner with co-owners on him. And hes we have one. We could have two horses in the Breeders' Cup. We already have one in this year. And he could be our second in the Breeders' Cup. I think he'll be there. But more importantly, he could be one of the Derby favorites. So he's just got to stay healthy. His name is High Oak.
1: Holy shit! So you could be—that could be you, them showing you in the derby. That would be how, how
2: nice would that be? How oh nice my God. would that be? Well, yeah. good luck. All right,
1: don't be a stranger. I'm going to bring you back during the season. I know JJ Thanks. JJ loves having you on New York, New York too. So how's, we're JJ, you in. Doing? how's JJ doing? JJ's kicking ass. He's kicking Glad ass. Glad to hear. Yeah.
2: he's a good kid. Thanks. He's a
1: really good kid. All right, good to be see well, you, Bill. All right. All right. Look, people pick this podcast apart in a lot of different ways. One of the ways is not enough Chicago, too much Boston, a lot of New York, a lot of L.A., too much Philly. The Ringer has a lot of Philly people. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. You'll be seeing more of him in the Ringer. I'll, I'll just I'll just say that. Uh, yeah. You w- more announcements coming next week. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you.
3: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's good to be seen. You know, I've been a lot of places in this, uh, this media world. So now I can etch it off that I've uh, hung out with Dollar Bill Simmons for a couple of minutes.
1: Before we talk about the Bears, which is the reason I'm pulling you on, because I love the Bears under and I really want to dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. I floated a Zach Levine, Ben Simmons <laughs> trade to you that you initially you were repulsed by. You got upset. <laughs> you, and then, then you were like, "Wait a second, that I, and where are you landing on that now?" Because that's still, I think, the second most logical Ben Simmons trade.
3: I, you know, as, so when you first threw it out to me, obviously, I was like, "Ah, that's probably not what the Bulls would want to do right now in terms of taking back somebody who has had some some public issues over the last couple of years, especially this last playoffs, where that to me was." One of the defining moments of the playoffs—not one of the best, not one of the worst—but one of the defining moments of him not taking the shot right there for everybody to see. I'm a huge Ben Simmons fan. I like I—I I still am one of the like six or seven people who believe like, hey man, if a six ten Jason Kidd kind of player is running around out there, then I don't know. There's a lot of dudes at point guard that I'm not really high on, like I am him. The only thing that I would say is Zach Levine. Is is coming a very important time in Bull's history where the Derrick Rose thing happened, the phenomenon of Derrick Rose, and then the crash with the injuries, the Jimmy Butler thing happened, the growth of Jimmy Butler, and then them not wanting to pay Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler moving on. And then the trade that brought Lowry Marketing and all these, you know, Zach Levine and all these other guys. It it would seem to me that Zach Levine has found a special place where you don't know if he is the number 1 on a championship team and he probably isn't but at the same time this fan base is looking at it like are are you going to get 27 points on damn near 50 40 80 shooting again out of somebody like you know Ben Simmons obviously not but are you going to find that draft that that, that are you going to have that draft capital to get that player and it's something that you mentioned with uh i, I believe Rousseau mentioned it where 2015, 2016. You can look back at the top ten draft picks, and only two of them are with their team still. So building through the draft, unless you have that first through third pick, maybe it's tough. You know, finding that franchise cornerstone. I think Bulls fans and the Bulls organization and Zach have met in a weird position where it's just time to figure out if this, if you can rock with this. If this was any other time, I think the Ben Simmons Zach Levine thing would be more of a more of a, a, a thought. But right now, I don't know that Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley know what they have. And I think they want to find out what they have this last year before they have to pay Zach or before they have to do something else. Uh, And I don't know if Ben Simmons is the the guy that's going to fit into their their game plan. Now, I do know that they love uh, guys who push the ball up, guys who move the ball. Ben Simmons is that. But, you know, I think. From what people have seen in this last couple of playoffs, they've soured on it. I'm one of the only people who haven't. I don't know if I'd pull it off because I'd still be a little hesitant that Ben has to get over something, whether it be in his head or whatever's going on. But yeah, I, I'm high on both players. I just, I'm high on them in a different way. And I, I don't think it's going to happen. But like you said, it's a logical fit on each side because Lonzo Ball, I think, can play with Ben Simmons, even though you think that they're the similar players. I don't. I think a lot, like you mentioned, ben, Lonzo has learned um, how to shoot with regularity from distance, especially the second half of last season. So, uh, and and Demar Derozan, he's still one of the best isolation scorers, or one of the most efficient isolation scorers we have in the game. So, you know, Ben Simmons passing it to Demar Derozan or getting it pushed up by Lonzo Ball wouldn't be a, an issue. I think the fit is a little bit uh, a little bit better than people would think. I just I don't know if if this organization is willing to let go of another player similar to what they've seen over the last couple of years and guys who might be franchise cornerstones, but you got to win something, right? You can't really, you can't really stake a claim to anything. If you're Zach Levine until you win something, and I think that's the next the next step in their journey.
1: Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if the Olympics helped them at all too. That would be the other piece of that. So yeah. the, I'm a, It's weird. I'm both out on Ben Simmons, but I'm also willing to be sucked back in the moment he has his own team with a bunch of shooters and offensive guys. And he's, as you said, could he be Jason Kidd kinda? Like, yeah. Defensively he could. Yeah. Could he be like a very unselfish guy who's filling up the box score? And, you know, I I guess the last six minutes is just the piece. And we've talked a lot about different people on this pod about it. Just like, can he get over the hump the last six minutes? Can he be? Can he get over being afraid to fail, basically? Because when you take three shots in seven games, you're afraid to fail in the playoffs. So can he get over that? Does he need like a sports psychiatrist? Does it need like a, like, a, is it like a sports movie? Is this Tin yes. Cup 2?
3: I don't yes. know. So I, I suffer, like, when I see certain things happen to athletes on a very, uh, a, a much smaller scale. Like, I suffer from anxiety like nobody I know around me. Um, And my lady is a therapist. So, so, so I find out about my anxiety and I have found out about my anxiety, especially over the last five or six months or so. And when you see guys in that moment where, you know, I think it's either one, he, you know, the Showtime documentary, I mean, he, he, he talked about those things and we've, we've learned about, you know, the history of what he's dealt with in terms of know imposter syndrome and 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 anxiety and all those other things that people who go to normal everyday gigs go uh suffer through as well I just I, I wonder too what part of it is that and what part of it is being forced to take your cool off um we see it how many times where there there are awesome teams that just aren't quite forced enough to drop the cool shit and get busy like you can't tell me Lob City shouldn't have been competing in multiple Western Conference Finals who was gonna take their cool off first? And the guy who they all looked at and Chris Paul as the little tyrant, was like, yo, take the cool off because we're gonna miss an opportunity. We're gonna miss a window, right? Um, I, I wonder if Ben, you know, in this age that he's growing up in too, it, you gotta show that, hey man, I'm cool. Like that shit don't faze me. And, and I'm gonna show my Rari and I'm gonna, sh-, you know, but at the same time, are you gonna take your cool off? Like if he gets shipped to Sacramento, right? So for De'Aaron Fox, or something crazy. Say something crazy happens and you end up in that C-Web situation where you're like, all I got, all I can do now is ball because, you know, I, and the nightlife ain't popping. Ain't nobody coming here to play with me. And the next thing you know, you end up with Mike Bitten and Peja Stoyakovich and Vlade DeVox and Lawrence Funderburk and, you know, Bobby Jackson and all. You know what I mean? Like, maybe, just maybe, <clears throat> sometimes you got to get dropped on your head to realize that, you know, you, you you you're drop proof, right? Dead cat dead cat bounce. I, I think Ben Simmons got a lot of talent. And we're talking about a 24-year-old too, man. Like I just I just hope it comes together soon enough uh for his career, not only to um to 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 prove the promise that it that it had at the beginning, but also for me to be right. Let's be honest about it. Uh I'm I'm simply watching these things to be right, and when I'm wrong, like thinking that Tim Duncan wouldn't be, you know, awesome. And thinking that Keith Van Horn would be a Hall of Famer, like when I'm wrong, I really don't like to dwell on it too much. But when I'm right, I I like to think I'm I'm pretty dope. So uh, I need Ben Simmons to get to that triple double machine and lead the team to you know at least the conference finals on his own before I can do that.
1: Give me 22 seconds on the state of mind of the Bulls fan right now, especially coming off the last dance, uh, the aborted (laughs) Derrick Rose effort uh, era slash effort where basically the highlights were the Oh nine Celtics series. Oh, no. and the, no, uh, no. and basically having the best record in the league during the year he got hurt. And that's really it. And then there's not joking. Yeah. No, I guess making first team All NBA, but just not, not a Thank lot you. of fun. And then Appreciate the weird it. Jimmy Butler trade and, and, but where are we now? Where are we mentally? 22 seconds. Give it to yeah, me. We,
3: we get, we get it, Bill. We get it. Um, you know, we're, we've been kicked in the rocks and, and we are kick-proof, seemingly, because something is going to be interesting, fascinating, um, different about this team. Like, whether it doesn't... If it doesn't make the playoffs, the, the anger is going to be uh, palpable. But the fascination with this team is different than I've seen in a very long time since the Jimmy Butler years. Uh, people actually were coming back last year and were let down, but they got enough of a bite of Zach Ravine that were like, oh, all he needs is some help. Well... AK and ME, ACME, you know, went out there and did what they had to do. And now you got to sink or swim because... All right.
1: So optimism.
3: Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Fascination, intrigue, optimism, and knowing that this is going to look like the cocaine 80s, where you're going to give up 130 points and and have to win by scoring 135.
1: (laughs) That should be part of their marketing. We're back to the cocaine 80s. Here we go. 130 to 125. Let's go. Uh, All right. Bears. So... One of my favorite bets, and we just talked about this with Mike Francesa, for unders. Normally, people go overs with with NFL. They get, they're like, "I like this. I think this is going to happen," and it's right, like more right, positive. Right, right. It's it's more fun to bet on positive futures. I look at the Bears. Uh-oh. The Bears over under is seven and a half. They'd have to go eight and nine to beat your bet. They play the Lions twice. Yeah. Other than that, like. You know, they they play the AFC North, who's going to have three really good teams. They play the NFC West, which is a gauntlet. Then they have Green Bay twice. They got Minnesota twice. That week six through 11 is nasty. Right. So right, I'll give that to you. Packers, at Bucks, 49ers, at Steelers Monday night. And there's an at Raiders game in week five before that. Then they go on a bye. Oh. And then you have this whole thing with Fields, who I loved in the draft. I mean... I have our Lord and Savior, Mac Jones now, so I don't, I don't have, any, <laughs> I don't have any, any remorse about Justin Fields. But uh, I really like him. I think he's going to be good. But I watched some of the Bears on Saturday, and, and you can't block. Nobody no. can block. That seems no. important. I don't no. love the skill guys. Uh, it just doesn't seem like a good team on top of it. Matt Nagy has to be the favorite for first coach fired, right? So give
3: me, give me the case for the Bears going eight and nine. Yeah, uh, it's nasty because even, let's start with the last thing you said about Matt Nagy being the first coach that's fired or Matt Nagy could have a secret contract extension along with Ryan Pace that nobody knows about because th- what's happening right now is weird. The Bears might have the greatest quarterback that they've ever had in their franchise's history and he might be the third quarterback. Um, and What a way NFL, to get your fans fired up. Right. Well, see, this is the thing too with Kyle Fuller. Uh, you know, uh, leaving and 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 some other members of this team not being here and, and Akeem Hicks, you know, talking that talk during the off season, I was saying to myself and asking my guys who host local sports radio, like, what the hell are y'all selling? Like, what can you tell people about Bears training camp? And then the draft came and then closer and closer to Justin Fields coming off the board, you said, oh shit, are they going to do this? And I'll tell you now, they can win five games this year, six games this year. And if Justin Fields, like you said, our Lord and Savior from, from Mac Jones, uh, our quarterback, if Justin Fields... <laughs> If Justin Fields can do something that Vince Evans and Cordell Stewart and Henry Burris and the, maybe the three or four other brothers that have ever played quarterback for the Chicago Bears could do, there's going to be one side of town that is jumping for joy no matter what, and then there's going to be the other side of town who is just happy because they're Bears fans. Listen, whatever it is, if it's going to, if it's going to suck, it better lead to Justin Fields getting on the field as soon as possible because the, the line, yes, Jason Peters is is an older dude, 39 years old, and you're not going to go on the couch and find tackles who can still get it done. I'm not saying Jason can't, but the injury factor is real. You're 39 years old and you've missed time because of injuries. Now, if he goes out there and plays all 17 and plays at an all-pro level, I'll be surprised. If he plays six or seven games at a really, really high level and gets hurt, I won't be. And then you've got Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins, who's had a back surgery already as your number two, round pick. If you can't block it, you can't beat it. You can't win. The defense is going to have to win. And I, there's corner issues. Like Jalen Johnson is their number one, but he's a young guy. Artie Burns, I think, should be the number two. Kendall Vildor is a guy who they drafted, who they like, who I'm still waiting to see something out of. Their safeties and Gibson and Jackson are two playmakers, but Jackson is a guy who you know has become a playmaker. And maybe some of the some of this, the subtleties have been skipped. You know, he's a big play guy, but there's some missed tackle stuff that people worry about. And last year, when he didn't force any, a lot of turnovers, people were asking, all right, so what does Eddie Jackson do? I'm looking forward to him because he's got the weird number two this year. I, by the way, the weird numbers are going to mess me up all year long, the college numbers. Eddie's wearing four, Damian Williams is wearing eight. Um, and as you said, the skill rece- the skill, the skill, positions. Cole Komet is supposed to be taking over for Jimmy Graham. Cole Komet didn't get on the, the field uh, in the first half of the season uh, the way that any Bears fan would have liked. So how are you going to manage these dudes? Can I right? interrupt
1: you on Cole Komet for one second? We got, you know, yeah. my son collects football cards. We got this awesome Cole Komet autographed, limited. It was like, you yeah. know, one of 20. So I was like, man, I hope Cole Komet's good. And then you watch the Bears, and you're like, eh, all right.
3: Right, no, he's gonna be fine. He's fine.
1: He's I'm fine. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be selling that uh, card on golden auctions for a million dollars. I guess right. is my point. Right, he's right,
3: fine. Right, 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 right. He's not. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, right. he's not like uh, Cole Gates or Cole Gonzalez or you know or, or Cole Gronkowski. He's Cole Komet. Right, right And your running backs
1: uh, are like a C minus. the mean, thing if, with me with you like give
3: him the damn ball though. You gotta give him the ball. David Montgomery is a player. I think he's a. player. He came on second half of the year. I agree with you. He didn't get the ball. Like like Matt Nagy tried to prove how good an offensive mind he was with a guy who needed him to develop him, Mitchell Trubisky. And that went sideways. And if you're going to tell me that Andy Dalton's the starter, then don't tell me that competition is the most important thing because obviously the best player and everybody sees it is Justin Fields. If you don't want to put him behind a bad line, fine. But is the line going to get any better when it's hurt and it's week six? So – there's intrigue, and it's, just like the Bulls. There's intrigue, there's fascination, but I don't see this team competing for a playoff spot. And if they do, I'll be surprised. I'll be surprised. And, it, and it's probably going to be because of the defense and bringing the kid along. Because Justin Fields is a rookie. He's going to make his mistakes. But I think he's just as good as Justin Herbert or some of these other guys who we've seen you know, star in their first year. Uh, he just doesn't have the, the weapons that they have. Allen Robinson is amazing. Darnell Mooney is an up-and-coming star. but after that, I think you got a bunch of special teams dudes. There's some good stories. Robbie Adams is a great story if you really check out his deal. Um, playing a game for his late mother and having a ch- just had a kid. But it, it's, it, the talent is sparse. Like The talent is on one side of the ball, and then on the other side of the ball, you just don't know what you have across the board outside of Allen Robinson.
1: Well, the move is you can't start him. Week- I'm not the first person to make this point. You can't start him week one in a night game against the Rams with no offensive line. You just can't. Then you got Bengals week two. It the would be too kid. easy to be like, just save them to week two. Maybe you try to steal that game with Dalton. You got at Cleveland week three, maybe avoid that. But then week four Lions seems like the time. That's when I would, otherwise you just got to start them and, and throw them against the Rams and see what you have. I just want to do that. I don't think it's worth it. The Rams could like, you know, that could be like an alert. After watching that hit he took when his helmet got
3: knocked off, I'm like, I'm not starting this guy against the Rams. And, and, and you know what that that hit was very important because that hit came because he slid the protection, and when you slide the protection, there's a hole in the, there's a hole in the offense that you can't block. He never looked at the hole and got his head blown up, and in the fourth quarter with eight forty five left, the same play happened, and he, he he stared it down and he completed which was a eight nine yard slant or something like that to that hot zone, But in that moment, the same play happened a quarter later. And he saw it. He he digested it, and he he determined how to execute a a, pro, a professional play. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in the fourth quarter of that Rams game, because I don't think the Bears can block. Oh, little garbage and,
1: time. A little thirty-eight I, I, to ten fields comes in for a couple steps. Give me the, the before we go. Give me the t-shirt jersey percentage by December of fields jerseys compared to everyone else in the Bears. What is it like nine out of ten? I mean, it's already
3: that way. 90%? 95? Yeah, yeah. It's already that way. And the, and the other 10% is wearing Alex Caruso jerseys because because he, <laughs> he, he's the grit and grind that a certain section of Chicago really needs to see perform well. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> um, well, listen, I'm excited to have more Chicago talk on the rigger. I'll just leave it at that. We might have some announcements next week. We're just, we're just planting some seeds here. Uh, yeah. Congrats on Fields, though. I have a lot of Bears fans in my life and the fact hey. that I have friends who are like in their late forties, who are like, I've never had a good quarterback. Like, fuck you, that you had to watch Cam Newton for a year. <laughs> I've I've been watching your version of Cam Newton last year for forty years. The hey. highlight for us was like Jim McMahon and one J color year. Like, leave me alone. So now you have somebody. Congrats. Hey.
3: This is for Steve Stentrum and Peter Tom Willis and Mike Tomzak. <laughs> Peter and, Tom Willis and Moses Moreno and and Chad Hutchinson and and all the all the guys who came before him. I am telling you now, I am very. I was high on Justin Fields last two years in college. I, last last year in college, I thought he was the best quarterback in, in college football. To be honest with you, and now we just hope that Chicago doesn't break him because Chicago is known as Moose Muhammad, as he said. That's, that's where receivers go to die. Well, if they're going to die, that means the quarterbacks are out, you know, putting them in the grave. So let's, let's hope that uh, Justin Fields is the quarterback for this team for 12, 15 years and we take a couple of trips to the Super Bowl because this city needs it, man. 85 was a long time. I'm 40 years old, okay? I was five years old the last time the team that everybody is under the umbrella of won a Super Bowl. There's, there's Sox fans, there's Bears fans. There's Cubs fans, there's Bulls fans, but everybody's a Bears fan, right? Everybody's a Bears fan in this city. And uh, it would be good to see that position, the most important position in professional sports to be uh, manned with confidence. To be
1: locked down, yeah. Yeah. All right, Jason Goff, good to see you. Uh, Look forward to uh, seeing more from you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Take care. All right, anytime it gets super weird with ESPN, I always bring Jim Miller in. He wrote the definitive book about ESPN. He also wrote the definitive books about SNL and CAA. He has a book coming out about HBO in, when is it? November, December?
0: November 16th. Yeah.
1: All right, so I texted you. I said, is this the craziest ESPN year ever? And you were like, ha, not even close. Like you just scoffed at me. What was the craziest
0: ESPN year ever? Uh, I mean, I think, I think the big battle with, Keith and Dan, because that was, they were straddling two hours. They were, you know, still sleepy Bristol, but at the same time, all of a sudden, for the first time they're on the cover of TV Guide and they're trying to repress talent and they're trying to keep everything like the toothpaste back in the tube. And so it was all over the place with Berman, with, you know, uh, Bob Lee and Robin Roberts and Bob, you know, uh, Charlie Steiner. I mean, there was a lot going on then. And uh, I think that there were a couple of, years in the 90s where it was, um, it was pretty tough. The only difference is that it was kept quiet.
1: Mm, until you unearthed all of these little nuggets for your book. I mean, some other stuff came out, but way more people watching ESPN in the 90s too. That's the other thing. You figure yeah. like the cable audience was probably four times what it is now, something like that, I would guess.
0: SportsCenter well, was appointment viewing. I mean, you couldn't get, you didn't even have a phone to get shit on. I mean, so, right. uh, I mean, it was just a whole different time. But they, you know, they still were very, very concerned with keeping, you remember Steve Bornstein said it was up to me. We'd rather, I'd rather robots doing the shows.
1: So, <laughs> well, maybe we're headed that way. That might oh, be USP paid in 2030. Without a
0: doubt. AI will be taking over the whole network.
1: Computer generated anchors from the past doing a uh, sports <laughs> center and PTI. So a lot happened this year already. We had um, the Rachel Maria thing, which is in the running for, I think, weirdest, ESPN scandal we've had. It's not number one, but I think it's a strong, like two seed in the bracket. Um, and then now Stephen, a max is off first take, I guess, cause Stephen A. seems to be like he's gaining power. And then all of a sudden yesterday, Rachel Nichols got blasted out of there. Jump got canceled. Uh, she's out. And both of the principals in the Maria Rachel saga, which overshadowed the finals in some ways, not always cause the basketball was really good, but, um, it just keeps going and going. There are new people in charge. There are people getting pushed out. There's talent gaining power, um, signature shows, the chemistry and the, the talent on those shows is just getting flipped. Um, and you're saying this isn't even remotely the craziest, but what's been well, the I biggest, mean, what's been the biggest surprise for you this summer?
0: I, I mean, I, look, the Rachel Marie is certainly, it's stunning in the sense that so much of it could have been avoided. And it wounds up being incredibly ironic. Right? I mean, now re- remember, I don't know if it's been reported or not. I don't, but five or six months, several months after this recording that started everything off, Rachel got a contract extension. Mm. I mean, they everything was fine with ESPN and Rachel Nichols. They went back to her, and it wasn't even like her contract was up. They went into a, Existing contract and gave her an extension. And so all of a sudden, some people put together a portfolio for the New York Times, and it drops coincidentally at a key time, both for the basketball programs at ESPN and also before Maria's contract. Lo and behold, there's a article, and then the world turns upside down. Um, you know, there was nothing new there was nothing new in terms of what management knew it just was a calculate you know as an idea of how their response was and uh that's that's a that's a bit tricky
1: well also how it affected some of the other people involved in the nba coverage how it affected black employees who wondered why the network didn't do anything like there's a lot of things but ultimately it seems like the decision they made to basically not handle it at all and just kind of hope it went away was this very old school 80s 90s decision that i'm just not sure you could do in the internet anymore but really it seems like it seems like the decision was made by hr because they're the ones deciding could she sue us if we did anything and hr's like yeah you probably can't you probably can't get rid of her because she could do this this and that and then 5 months later you give her an extension so now at that point if you're reporting that, then now you really can't do anything, but it just seems like a clusterfuck, Jim. I mean, why can't she sue them now? (sighs) That's a great question. I assume the way all of this came out and she had a tweet right after the announcement that there was some sort of detente that was reached, but who knows? You're right, maybe she could.
0: I mean, first of all, just in terms of, it's a two-party state, right? So you can't be recorded on a phone call without your permission. And then uh, you know, I mean, she's certainly got a case uh, I, I mean, I'm not a legal scholar, but I think that's one of the things that a lot of people are wondering why she didn't sue before and and will she sue now? uh you know that's that that's that's a pretty big question. I guess some people at in Burbank have have evaluated that, or maybe it's part of her separation agreement. I have no idea, but it's a that that, that is a that's a big question. I mean, part of it also is. Look, you know, because you used to be part of it. Mm. NBA programming at ESPN is like a ground war in Southeast Asia. They just (laughs) can't get it right. Yeah. I mean, listen, you you had Adam Silver turning into David Stern by talking about like a network's programming and how they're handling things. I mean, Adam has been, you know, the kind, elegant gentleman about all this stuff. I mean, David used to get in there and and, and, you know, fight and advocate for certain things and announcers, I mean, Adam really got upset. I mean, I would have to assume that Rachel will wind up on NBA TV. Uh,
1: Yeah, it seems like that's, at some point she ends up there doing interviews or something like that. Curtis and I talked about this during the finals, Brian Curtis, who does a great job writing about all this stuff for us. He's a smart Um, man. They don't care about Countdown, which makes it so funny That they constantly tinker with countdown, change it, pay giant salaries for it and do the whole thing. But then when you watch the last two rounds of the playoffs, there's barely a show. There's no, the pregame show is like all commercials and all four minute segments where everybody, Curtis wrote a great piece about this everybody just basically takes turns speaking for 20 seconds to goes to the next person. The halftime's two minutes long in the finals. It's two minutes. Then after the game, they're immediately trying to get to sports center so they can get the sports center money. So I guess my question is why even have, first of all, I mean, we can get to the jump in a second, but why even have countdown? Now they're talking about, oh, it's going to be Stephen A and Wilbon and magic potentially there's all these rumors. Why would they throw more money at a show that they fundamentally don't care about?
0: Oh, I think you're conflating uh, not caring about it with either the revenue stream or just the just incompetence. Because I would argue that they care so much about it. They paid a fortune for Sage Steel. They paid a, you know, really good money for you. They paid, then they paid really <laughs> good money for Beetle. Then I wasn't, my money came
1: before I was, they made me go on that show. I, I, I already had the contract. They just gave me a little extra. They wet my they beak. Gave
0: you, they gave you extra. They did some beak wetting. They were paying you what you were being paid. They could guilt shit you (laughs) into going on it. I mean, I think that they cared too much about it.
1: I mean, they definitely did when in the early 2010s, but I, I don't know how anybody who cares about television, who cares about the quality of it could watch those countdowns during the finals and be like, man, we're so close. If we only have the right talent, fundamentally, if nobody could, is allowed to have a conversation, how are you going to have a good show? That's the whole point. Like Turner has these nine-minute halftimes where everybody actually gets to talk and interact. You're never beating that unless you change the format of your show.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, they, they tried. I think they really are spooked by the I, the fact that the Turner show is such a great show. And they know that they 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 just have never been able to come close to it. Um, I think that's a problem, but I also feel like that show was designed, the architecture of that show was designed to just be as much uh, of a, you know, revenue gen- generator. Um, you talk about countdown. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It's commercials with, with a couple people making random basketball points and that's right. what they decide to do. And, you know, if it's like, if you're going to put. Stephen A. and Wilbon and Magic on that show, I've worked with two of those people on that show, like they don't say stuff in short sound bites. So if you're going to give them three minutes to try to have a segment, good luck. It's not going to happen. They'll be introducing the segment and the segment will be over.
0: No, they will have to totally create a, a whole new paradigm for that show if that's if that's the case. Um,
1: but do yeah. you think, Curtis asked this point in his piece, if Barkley was on that show, the way it's, per, it's, presently constructed where so much of it revolves around the host, setting up, coming in and out of commercials. And then nobody has any time to speak. Basically would even Barkley be good on that show. I don't know if he would be that
0: good. No, but Barkley wouldn't do the show. That's a great point. Yeah. He would just say, wait, what's the show? That's the show. Yeah. Count me out. I got enough. I get to talk 15 second sound bites. Awesome. No, thanks. He would just say, no, you know, which is basically toward the end of, uh, your time there—that's basically what you were saying. I, you didn't want to do it anymore. I mean, it gets. Well, I didn't.
1: Fun. I didn't want to do the second season because I—I I would send them these long memos about here's why the here's why we have a limited ceiling with the show. It's a lot of it is to do with the structure and how you're approaching like opening segments and stuff. And they just—they didn't care because they want everything to look like SportsCenter. So it was never going to be a good
0: show. Yeah, I mean, but I—I I would be very surprised if they get those three and keep the show as is. It's almost impossible. It's, it's almost impossible. And then, of course, they're going to have another show like The Jump. They just won't call it The Jump.
1: I figured that. I, I just thought Malika gets that show. They call it NBA Daily or whatever they call it. All the same types of people that are on The Jump, but it's way less built around the host. There's no five-minute self-congratulatory monologue at the beginning of it and None of that stuff, and it's just like basically sports center about the NBA.
0: Can we just channel our uh, Bradley Cooper here with some silver linings? It's yep. un- Malika really. I mean, in a in a story that had absolutely no good news to it, Malika was the silver lining because she not only is it show that it's a meritocracy, but she delivered time and time again under incredibly extraordinary circumstances. You know, at various points, and, she- and she's
1: like she's like nine years older than my daughter. I mean, she's. They really threw good. her into the fire. It's incredible. I think she's
0: like really 25. Good. Yeah, she's really good. I mean, they lucked out big time.
1: Well, what and, do you do yeah. if you're them? Like, you're covering basketball. You have this unbelievable asset in some ways in Woj, because he has all the information. But you're also like, kind of, how do you make that work on TV? It's never, it, they've never been able to make Woj work on TV with the information. Twitter is always the best format for him. But then when you have like something like the draft and he's spoiling. Each pick on Twitter, and they then people watching the draft are like, "Why am I watching this? I should just watch
0: Twitter." I mean, I think there's a fair, I think there's a fair analogy to be made with Schefter, and you see what Schefter does on NFL. I mean, I mean, Woj is, you know, obviously Woj, but I think that there is a way to incorporate that kind of insight and news breaking into a show. Yeah, you um, pull them
1: into the segments, or you
0: pull them into the segments, and you have real conversations, and then you bounce off of that news. You know, sometimes yeah. they would come in. Woj would, you know, say all of a sudden, like, this and this is going to happen or so-and-so's going there. And then they'd go back to a separate conversation. I mean, that's, it's like, while you're there breaking the news, own that news, talk about the repercussions, talk about how that's going to change either the game you're about to see or, or something else. And, um, you know, and then it becomes fun. I mean, they just didn't integrate him right. But he's- Yeah, I, I always
1: thought, I always thought he should be like in Woj's bomb shelter, and they just go to it and he's in like an actual shelter and he's just like dropping Woj bombs and then does like a four-minute segment, a lot like the Schefter thing. Because I think Schefter works on the NFL. And he they does. haven't been able, mean, been able to figure out how to make that also work for Woj.
0: But I don't think it's Woj's fault. I think that they just don't understand how to conduct. You I agree know, with I think, you. I don't think it's Woj's fault either. They have some, you know, it's like, they have a beautiful violinist. They just don't have a conductor. They just don't, yeah. don't have a way of making it all sound pretty. So as as
1: we get distance from this Rachel, Maria, this whole thing, it actually seems like people a little bit are like, wow, that was, that was crazy how that worked out for Rachel, whether you agreed with what she said, all that stuff, just fundamentally how it played out. It seemed like the the pieces that I read from all the media reporters were like, wow, that, that was just completely effed up by ESPN. What a disaster over the course of a year for how to handle a crisis, and I think that's gonna be the legacy of this, right? It's like, how can you handle something this badly for a year?
0: Well, the other ironic part of it is, forget about what's in the papers, people at ESPN who, let's just say that there were some people who were not big fans of Rachel, even they, even they are saying she got a raw deal. And, you know, they can't believe the whole saga. And so I think it's a, it's one of those things where now that both of them are kind of removed from the case, Equation it still lives and breathes, and the repercussions are going to be both on the managerial, you know, side and just in terms of the NBA coverage side. I think it's going to be with them for a while. It was really, it was really sad. It was really screwed up.
1: Yeah, and like borderline traumatic. And a lot of people either lost their jobs or they're getting transitioned out. And um, it's led to they brought in Dave Roberts, who was on the radio side, I guess, to run the NBA stuff. And yeah. usually when the new person comes in, they're going to bring in all their own people and kind of do their own vision for stuff. But, you know, it's interesting. Watching from afar as they've screwed up a couple of these things. And look, I think ESPN's in a really hard spot in some ways because of how their business has changed the last eight, nine years. You know, and you, it, it just feels like they're constantly playing defense and they're playing whack-a-mole with crises that come up and stuff like that compared to what it was like, you know, which I think was like the real recent heyday of probably 09 to 2012, stuff like that. I think what's interesting about what's happened in that company, you have all these cutbacks, you have to get rid of like your bench basically, right? So if it's like a 50, think of the whole company as like a 53-man roster So you've had to get rid of some of that. And now you're basically trying to play football with like a 40-man roster. You're putting a lot of responsibility on certain people. And you have these moments, like what just happened with this Marie Rachel thing, where it's like, it's almost like they don't have enough people either in charge or focused um, just on how everything's going to be like, oh, wait a second. The person who's levitating above and is like, hey, wait a second, this is bad. What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? Because they're always like playing catch up, trying to fix stuff. And to me, this is like wait, an eight year kind of slide. If you're thinking back to 2012, 13, where, where they are, where they are now. They, the innovations, what innovations does is ESPN do in the last few years, other than pulling off streaming? Like think about what the company was like in the 1990s. Then all the stuff you wrote about in your book in the 2000s, constantly trying stuff. Sometimes this stuff didn't work. Sometimes it would be the phone, you know? Sometimes it would be ESPN, the Gatorade. Like they would take swings and misses. What are the swings now? Like basically they, they've retreated and they basically said, we just want to show games and highlights. And I guess that's who we are. Like it's kind of
0: depressing, right? Well, listen, first of all, on the talent side, I think it's even more drastic than what you suggest because I, look, at one point they had over a thousand people on camera. Mm. It deals with over a thousand people. Right now, they made a decision several years ago and Stephen A was the beneficiary of that beyond anybody's imagination and more so than anybody else, that there were probably, I would say, Bill, like 10 to 12 people that they really care about. Yeah. Everybody else forget about it. And in fact, you know, if you look at this past year, what they've done with a lot of talent contracts, they've actually set out a number. They've given the number. This is the number. If you want to stay, you can accept this number. If you don't, then we wish you well. I mean, there's really not even a lot of negotiating. There's a whole middle tier that used to be able to, they weren't making Berman money and they weren't making, you know, big Stephen A money, but they were making, you know. Real
1: money, yeah.
0: Good money, like two and a half to five. Hmm. And all those, a lot of those salaries, Van Pelt, no, but a lot of those salaries have been slashed considerably. Some people on air have taken 35, 40, 45% haircuts. And they just said, basically, we defy you to go someplace else. Or if you do, goodbye. But they have really just made a court. That's how Stephen A got to 14. You know, I mean, look, Max, Max has kicked off that show, but they'll probably give Max Levitard's window or something like that. He'll still be making his, you know, whatever it is, you know, four and a half, five, whatever he gets. I mean, he gets, he, he makes pretty penny. And so I think, as a result, it's, it's like there's just two fundamentally different worlds where, you know, if you're in that, if you're on that list, if you're on that A-list, they're going to bend over backwards for you. They're going to try and accommodate you, figure out a different thing and, you know, keep your salary high. If you're not, you're, forget it.
1: What part of ESPN is growing right now? Because you think about like they're always adding buildings, building buildings to Bristol, um, they well, expand the biggest, to LA, they do the SEC network like there is going, like, what are the parts that you think are growing now?
0: Oh, the, the biggest is the core saying we should spin them off. <laughs> I mean, right. that's, that's what it basically is. I mean, if you look at the cable bundle, I mean, we knew this like 10 years ago, eight years ago, Yep. let's say 14 and 14, it became pretty clear. Yeah. But in Burbank now, I mean, you're really starting to hear more and more people, they, they might have to spin them off. It's just...
1: What does spin them off mean? Like sell them to who?
0: Somebody who is very, very comfortable with advertising and somebody who's not going, and who's going to be able to absorb that advertising matrix in a much larger advertising matrix so you don't get hit so hard. Remember at one point, I mean, what do you think? Pixar and Marvel and all these things, they were bought with ESPN money. ESPN was you know, generating $12 billion a year in revenue. Right. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, so that's not happening anymore. And uh, I think there's a real question about ESPN's future now in terms of, I mean, but look, they still spent, they, they spent a lot of money on NFL. They got a, the best NFL deal they've gotten in a while. They, I think they overspent, no offense against Jimmy, uh, for the NHL. I mean, they're still spending money and so it's not the big kind of growth equations of growth stories that you're talking about but it's not like they've completely retreated well the the
1: the way they've grown is they've tried to solidify the sports red stuff yeah. ufc was another great deal they For, just have they've put most of their resources toward games yeah which you could argue makes a lot of sense i i guess like What's been interesting to me, and I don't want to say it's bittersweet, I haven't worked there for six years, but it's just, just thinking back almost 10 years to when, you know, Bodenheimer's last year when Skipper was running content for him and just what a machine that place was and the vision that they had. And just, it just seemed like anything was possible and they really took big swings. I really loved working there. There There's like a four or five year stretch as fucked up as that place was and is where it was like, this is a cool place to work. We really try to do stuff, you know? And we we try to do stuff other people aren't doing. And then that really started to shift the last year and a half I was there. And it it also became way more dysfunctional the uh, last year and a half I was there.
0: Well, it became very, very big and some people weren't in the right jobs. But the truth is Skipper got Shapiro's job by articulating that vision of live, live, live. I mean, he came at the exact... Right time, like he went gobbled up. I mean, the first day he had the job, he flew to get the World Cup. He stole that away from NBC the very first day. He was a soccer right. and then he did it with Wimbledon. He did it with, and then these long deals with all these conferences, twenty-seven billion dollars in college football. It was the perfect timing because the money was flowing, and he was doing nobody was doing eight-year, nine-year, ten-year deals. I mean, he 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 totally transformed the business, and then he became like George Steinbrenner with talent. Paying like enormous sums of money to people like Bill Simmons, and oh, I'm just kidding. I uh, deserved it. They, Skipper never
1: regretted a Bill Simmons contract. I'll tell you that, Jim Miller.
0: I, I I think that's right. I think that's right. But let's face it, you did raise the bar. I, <laughs> maybe.
1: There's no, uh, no maybe. You raised yeah, the bar. Uh, there was some. Yeah. I kept it quiet. Um, look, it was it was a really cool place to work. And it was also really dysfunctional, even when we were at the Heights. I mean, I remember like ESPN Films, which was a bunch of different names. We must've had four or five bosses over the span of five years, including like when we were doing for 30 for 30, our bosses changed three times for that just in the first couple of years. I had on the website, I think maybe five people running the website in eight years, something like that. It was... John Marvel, then it was Neil Scarborough, it was John Papinek, then Rob Kings in there, and then Rob Kings. In, like, they, it, things were always in flux. And then on the TV side, same thing. I, mean, I remember when Skipper flipped Norby. I mean, we're going super inside baseball here for the audience, but when he flipped the jobs, movie. yeah, yeah he, Wild Hack was in charge of scheduling and Norby was in charge of production. And Skipper's like, I'm going to flip these jobs, which was basically like making a baseball manager. It was like Ted Lasso. It was like making uh, you know, a football coach a soccer coach, but it just, it was really weird behind the scenes, but it didn't matter because ESPN was killing it, and making a ton of money. But as soon as they weren't, and as soon as there were cutbacks, all of a sudden this dysfunction becomes you know, way more noticeable and people are like, wow, ESPN, it's really getting crazy there. It's like, let me tell you something. It was always crazy. You know it was crazy because you wrote the book. There was never a normal time at ESPN. It was just, no, they were doing do better. Think-
0: I do think that the other big shift was the idea that a lot of the time people kept it quiet. And now, I mean, look, you look at Kevin Draper's New York Times story. I, I mean, that, that is the result of people inside talking, 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 putting things together. Um, and, you know, those things did not happen, uh, you know, to a large, to such a degree. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why dysfunction has become capitalized there. I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that it's been a big place. It's been a difficult place to run. A lot of times people were in the wrong jobs. But I think that what we've been seeing over the last five, six, seven years, and I think that you know, the comms team at ESPN would certainly I think they would agree that it just becomes unmanageable at some point.
1: Social media made it harder. I think the the blogs and the hyper coverage of stuff, which we just didn't have, you, know, you talked about Keith and Dan, it was like the early days of the internet. Nobody really knew two thirds of what was going on and you might read one story or hear a rumor or hear a third hand rumor or whatever, but it just wasn't
0: covered the same way. And then there was also just the idea of like, you can tweet but you can't do your own personal opinions and you can't conflate anything with sports and politics and you can't say this and that. And finally, that became totally prohibitive, and they had to let that genie out of the bottle and that's that's been its own whole saga now
1: well, I remember they were very controlling in the mid two thousands with stuff right they there's just the upside for content people ultimately, they didn't care they knew where they were making their money, and it didn't the website really mattered, but ultimately, like nobody who wrote for the website they they were always going to default to the website over the person um I think as as we hit the social media era, and if you're a columnist, or you're a sports center anchor, or you're whatever, you're also this person online. And as that evolved over the next 10 years, and the interaction people can have with fans, the things they can see in their replies, that opened a whole can of worms. I saw it. I, I remember doing TV once with somebody who, every time we took a break, would just go on Twitter and read the replies, and go crazy what people were saying. And, you know, half the time it's bad, but I think all that, I think social media, not to blame, you know, that's like a hacky thing to be like, it's social media's fault. But I do think social media exacerbated a lot of stuff that was under the surface. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, not to sound self-serving, but I think that's one of my favorite Argent podcasts I've ever done. I did the Argent. You you and Skipper helped out on that one. I I, That that was the best story because it was just absolutely crazy. It was absolutely crazy. All the the roller coaster, the shoots and ladders that the company went through trying to figure that out. And in fairness, a lot of companies were trying to figure it out, but they didn't have as many people who were, you know, going to be... I mean, can you imagine if you had your Twitter platform and they wouldn't let you uh, interview Obama when you got the, the first time the, you were able to get Obama? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. I would have um, gone nuts. I, I definitely would have tweeted about it. I also think people the first five years weren't as good on Twitter as they eventually became. It was a lot more like I'm spilling my thoughts. It's yeah. like a, it's like a brain brain dump. And yeah. you, it, I did it a couple of times where it's like, Oh my, I look back now and I'm like, I can't believe I tweeted that, you know, the Skip Richard Sherman thing was so awful. Cause I watched that and I was like, this is just bad for our company. Like I was just looking at as somebody that really liked working for USPIN at that point. I'm like, this is just bad. Like we're putting our talent in a situation where they look bad, why are we doing this? I shouldn't have tweeted it, but I did, you know? And then, there, then that led to me getting suspended, which becomes this whole other big deal. But I, I feel like they were trying to navigate that for a while. But now, now it's kind of like, what can you do? You can't control social media, but at the same time, just they people feel have- themselves.
0: They don't even announce suspensions. I mean, they used to announce. I remember when Tony went off on Hannah's wardrobe, you know, and uh, it was clear, okay, he's going to get suspended. And the only thing we were waiting for was the announcement, like, was it going to be with pay or without pay? Is it going to be one week, two weeks, three weeks? You know, and of course they would tell. Now, there are people in the past couple of years, there have been a bunch of people who have gotten suspended, but they don't even talk about it. They won't even comment about it and it's probably a smart thing to do from a from a company point of view but they just don't care i mean they they don't want they don't want to talk about it they don't think it needs to be public and you know probably save them a lot of heartache i
1: really like patara i think he's a good guy is that a fun job to have
0: i think he i think he, jimmy is a good guy and i think he really likes the job i think he's always thought about it i mean he had his nose pressed up against the window, at least to be number two when Skipper was around. That didn't happen. Mm. But I think I think the thing that you can say about Jimmy, even when things don't go the way even he would want it, is that he loves the job. I don't think he realized how hard it was going to be, in part because you have to be in the chair to realize that. And also, I think just a bunch of shit happened that you know, you, you can't predict, I mean, obviously COVID, but other things as well, personal matters. And I mean, th- this whole thing with Rachel and Maria, I mean, you don't really think that's going to have, you know, it's going to happen. And the other problem is, I don't think he's got a lot of people who can control that Yeah, or can manage it until it gets to him. You know, the, the, the good news is the bad news. <laughs> the good news is there's a lot of important people at ESPN on air who feel like, well, you know what? Jimmy's always said, I can reach out to him. I can text him at 11 o'clock at night and he'll respond. And he does. The bad news is that there's a lot of people that feel like they can go straight to the boss. So there's a lot of senior managers who just, they just don't have a lot of credibility or they don't have either the gumption or the portfolio to, to make a, a real decisive decision that will save Jimmy from getting involved. Jimmy gets involved in way too many things.
1: Isn't it funny how the talent comes and goes and it's usually the talent's fault and the talent's always so difficult and those senior managers never seem to go?
0: Especially the senior managers who have put those people, I mean, look, I'm not sure which, you know, rocket scientists sat down and said, oh, let's put your Mel Hill on Sports Center 6. I mean, I know who they are, but I'm not going to out them, but I'm just saying, I'm not sure what their thinking was. That was just a really bad idea. That there's, and Michael, there's just, There's just nobody. Especially because they had a show that people liked. (laughs) It was really good. Yeah. It was really good. But you know what? Sure enough, when things went south and that show went sideways.
1: It's a talent spot.
0: They were gone. They were gone. And the people who literally decided to do that show are still there. I'm aware. This is why the thing that I was, I got
1: the reputation for he's so difficult. He's so demanding. It's like, I stick up for myself. That was what what I did the entire time I was at ESPN, when they tried to take jokes out of my column or when they went back on their word on something or, you know, whatever. Like, I was always going to stick up for myself. Maybe I stuck up for myself too hard sometimes, but um, I just, there was, when things don't make sense, I can't kind of sit around and not say anything. So eventually you learn how to massage it and do it better, but it's just weird that it's always the talent that's so difficult. And then when you look at these situations, it's sometimes the talent just being put in situations to fail. And then if they, if they push back on it at all, then it's their fault, which I just think is a really weird way to, to think about it.
0: There is, look, with some people and you know who they are, there's a real us versus them mentality. And when you start to have incredible influence or at least it was clear that Skipper cared about your opinion and you had a see right. it more creatively then you know I yeah, so. uh, mean you had like 10 bullseyes you're ma- yeah. you making too much money some people too too popular, more important than the brand he's got too much to say now he's giving advice and then there were a couple of times when you gave advice on things that you weren't involved in. I heard about that like which one like, give me an example I don't even remember oh come on you wrote a, you wrote a memo about what was it about uh, NFL? Con- no, it wasn't NFL. Oh, con- he used to write a lot of memos. Uh, it, it was a memo about stuff that you weren't on or involved in. And that people went to DEF CON one on that. And then of course. <laughs> I'm so happy. I, I don't even remember. Skipper you know, but- would
1: ask me to send memos on stuff. He
0: would just be like, Hey, let me know what you think well, about nobody whatever. Knew, nobody knew about that, that he asked you or all that. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a second, there's going to be a sequel to 30 for 30 and people are trying to take it away from me. I wouldn't. Well, that
1: one I did. That one I did go nuclear on. Yeah. Yeah. We had like a rival faction just basically trying to do 35 for 35, like 30 for 30 didn't exist. That was the thing that happened. This is what I'm talking about. How dysfunctional that place is. You had ESPN, you had two sides, one who thinks they're making another 30 for 30 and the other who thinks they're doing 30 for 35 and that they can kind of topple 30 for 30. It's fucking well, Game of Thrones. Don't forget the punchline, which is that they didn't even let you guys know that they were playing. No, that. we found out. We had a memo forwarded to us. Right. And we we're
0: like, what's this? That thing had been going on for four months.
1: I know. Well, I mean,
0: that, that also shows how, not necessarily how duplicitous some people are. Yes, of course, but it also so shows who,
1: Some of whom are still there.
0: Yes, but how big the place is. Yep. You can have a you can like have a whole army working on something, and like no nobody on the other side knows. I mean that that was just I mean thirty five for thirty five is is like epic. I mean that is just that is that's a case study in in how they fight back. And
1: is that going in your book? When you do you got to do another. You have to sequel. do the sequel, right? Oh yeah, you well, have that,
0: to. Thirty five for thirty five is definitely yes. That's a that's a hearty perennial because it had it touched so many different. It, it it literally was a reflection on on so many different facets of the culture and on certain people who, yes, they're still there.
1: Well, and that was also Skipper, who was very hands-off with a lot of this stuff. And a lot of people acted accordingly and tried to grab territory and real estate. And they would nod to him in a meeting. And then as soon as they left in the meeting, do the opposite. And, you know, that you was a big promise. Fact,
3: you
0: got to love the fact that sometimes John would explode like a bomb in the middle of something, and he knew there would be collateral damage, and he would just walk away. <laughs> you guys just sort it out. Like, I don't care, I've made my decision. And this is not second grade. I know there's gonna be a lot of, you know, warfare and guerrilla warfare and bad, you know, kind of bad uh, people going at each other, but he didn't care. He just wasn't gonna reduce, you know, he wasn't gonna get involved in that stuff. He just was, Staying at thirty thousand feet, making decisions.
1: I guess so. my point, I mean, of the, of this part of our conversation is like this place has always been dysfunctional, and yeah. and really successful at the same time. And a lot of giant companies. I mean, I'm sure Facebook is incredibly dysfunctional. They're successful, you know. Then when things start to turn, you start having issues. That dysfunction starts be looking like it's a little more glaring. I think ultimately. ESPN will be the place that has games. I think the ESPN plus is gonna work. I think they've made the right decisions. I'm not sure, really, they're competing against pieces of other companies. And until Amazon or Apple just says, we're taking this, ESPN is gonna be fine. But the moment Amazon or Apple is like, we're taking this, now that might be eight years from now, but that's that, that, think- that will be the challenge.
0: Apple could buy them with the quarters and dimes and the couch cushions.
1: Oh my God. How about with season two budget of the morning show? They could just buy ESPN. It's,
0: it's, 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 It's a joke. It's a joke. But I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen from Tim Cook is Tim Cook is really smart about being disciplined about what they do and what they don't do. And that's, that's fascinating for somebody who's sitting on that much money. You know, somebody else in that chair would have been on, a huge buying spree and would have gone outside their sweet spot the one thing apple shareholders know and i think this is actually pretty cool is that they want to stick to things that they know and when they do start to branch out like they did with apple plus and apple like there's a plan to it and it's connected to something and they understand why they're doing it um you know but not to say that that will be the case for a long time they may they may decide to spend some money
1: well, and then on the flip side of that, uh, HBO, Casey, who's just continuing, he's just on a run. Casey Boys, the guy who uh, makes all the programming decisions for HBO. I'm biased. We have our Music Box documentary there. I love working with HBO. Casey's one of my favorite people that I think I've worked with, but his taste for shit, I you could argue he's the most valuable executive right now. The fact that over and over again, he's just pulling off these water cooler shows for this network that basically they tried to dilute with the, with the whole HBO Max and it was so confusing and, the, and it really seemed like the brand was in danger and now it seems fine again. And I really feel like it's all because of him.
0: I was asked after Zaslav and uh, Malone bought the company, you know, basically, uh, I guess everything's up for grabs. And I said, yeah, everything but Casey Boyce. I mean, uh, there's, there's just no way, that David or John or anybody who's going to be involved in that company is is going to touch Casey. Uh, you know, I think he's, he, can, he can certainly write his own ticket. And because he's so loyal to his team, I think his team also has a sense of uh, security that, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of places, particularly at this time, don't. I mean, maybe not every department and not every division at Warner Media or HBO or HBO Max but certainly that programming team or people like you, did you, did you work with Nina Rosenstein on? Yeah. Yeah, she's terrific.
1: The the thing with Casey, he managed to protect a brand that was in danger. You know, and you see, just look at what, what's happened to ESPN even in the last eight years, like how many different ways your brand can get screwed up if the wrong people are in charge or the wrong the wrong thing happens or all of a sudden you go sideways on this one thing, you don't see something in time. And with HBO is at this point, wh- whenever it was when they got bought, when, right when Plupper was starting to stomp his feet a little bit about what they're trying to do, it was hard to tell how much was histrionics and how much was, oh wait, he's really worried about this. And as it turned out, he was really worried about it. There was this moment where it seemed like they're just gonna turn HBO into just another streamer, just another network. And they've managed to, to keep the one thing that made HBO special, which I'm sure is in your book, when they really get behind something, the audience expects it to be good. That's such a hard place to land and it's such a hard place to keep. You know, where it's like, Mira this is HBO, it's Kate, I bet this is going to be good. To just have the audience make the leap versus Netflix, which I think Netflix does a lot of good stuff too, but Netflix, they're shooting, it's like a t-shirt cannon. They're just shooting shows and movies at you every day. And then you'll, they'll, they have the algorithm and it'll figure well, out what you like and don't like.
0: versus White Lotus. Right. I mean, theoretically, I mean, musically speaking, there were variations on a theme, right? I mean, a bunch of people are getting together. But I, I mean, the Mike White show, just Mike Lotus just toppled them, creamed them. And now they're going to do another season. You know, uh, it's
1: such a cool story because he does that thing. And it's like, look, this is one season. It's six episodes. There's no season two. And then people just liked it. And then it's like, wait a second. How do we figure this out? Could there be a season two?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be totally different place and a different cast. But something like like that could go on for like 10 years. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. And Mike was amazing the way he managed to pull that off during COVID.
1: It's still, like, those two shows give me faith that as weird as TV has gotten and as many choices that we have, there still, like, can be those shows that seem like they, they turn into a, are you watching dot, dot, dot yet? Have yeah. you caught up? Hey, you, you got, have you watched episode four yet? I want to talk to you about it. Like, it way, still feels I'm, like it matters.
0: Yeah. I'm a big fan of, I know everybody likes to, to binge, but there was something really cool during Mare and White Orchid. White loads because it was like, oh no, I got to be home to watch it. Like right. it, it was appointment viewing, which we hadn't heard of in a long time, you know. And I think that was another thing that HBO didn't give into. Uh, they kept their construct, and I think people really enjoyed it. I mean, there was, you know, somebody was talking about they were at a party and everybody it was something Everybody left. Oh no, it's the final mayor. We're, we're going. I bet you. Yeah, it's,
1: it's so- almost like a like a game.
0: Yeah, I bet you you'll see another season of that too. Even though they said it was gonna be one and done. I bet you they talked Kate into it and uh, Brad Inglesby, who's the writer of that, is a terrific guy. I bet he comes up with a great sequel.
1: I've already said what I wanted season two to be. It's it's a it's she coaches the women's basketball high school team. Season two. Kate actually like we get to see her practice. Like she's such a good actress. She just teaches herself how to be, basically become like I don't know, De'Aaron Fox as a point guard. Um, and then there's some sort of murder with the high school team. And now we're back. We're back with the mayor of Easttown. I think- um <laughs> just want to make sure Nicholson's there because she was unbelievable. The, uh, the thing with, I sometimes I, like I can get the screeners, right? Like they sent me the first five mayor of Easttown, So I saw all the ones up to the big episode where things flipped. And then I felt left out of the dialogue during the week. And, you know, I love the Netflix binge strategy. I love being able to get all the shows at once if you're in the mood for that. But there's still something about the week-to-week ebb and flow of a TV show. And you could feel it with White Lotus. I talked about White Lotus. I was at a wedding, I think between episode three and four. And I was in like four different White Lotus conversations at the wedding. And I still, I just like that we still have that these days.
0: Well, and, and also I thought it was a, the first time I saw it, I thought, this is a little hokey with the coffin right at the opening scene. It's like, mm. but it was, it turned out to be really smart because every week people were changing their minds about who was in the box. And there was a whole other, you know, conversation going on. And of course, everybody's writing about it as well. You know, week after week, Oh, this is, this is what we learned. Who do you think, how does that impact your your feelings about who dies? I mean, it was, it it really brought all the muscle of a limited series not bingeable, uh, you know, to to bear.
1: Well, you released the cover for your HBO book and there's like 40 faces on it. And the biggest, the biggest- 28. 28. The biggest exclusion, the biggest outrage is Adebisi not being on the cover. I just couldn't believe it. Adabisi, I think, uh, Adabisi and Tony Soprano carrying HBO with Carrie Bradshaw in the late 90s. (laughs) I felt like Adebisi deserved his just due. Put his headphones on so he could uh, commit a sexual assault against that guy's son. That was, like, that was one of the most mind-blowing scenes in HBO history. Um, oh, no, I, I thought know. Adam it, Bisi should have been on there. It was really hard. Well, you also, didn't you tell, say to me that you thought OJ should have been on there? Oh, oh it's first and 10 OJ. I would have thrown him on. Oh, my god! He was like, that was the first important HBO show, first and 10. I, that I, and The Hitchhiker, going way back.
0: I know, but
1: you know, yeah. I know. I get, I get, I get why you didn't put OJ on your book cover. I, w- I, wasn't gonna die on that hill. What do we think of the Sex and the City remake?
0: That's gonna be interesting. We'll see. I mean, they killed off Kim of, Cattrall; she's dead. They, they're spending a lot of money on it, and uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't bet against Michael Patrick King, but uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not. I mean, I think it seems to me like people are really excited about it, and the core audience still wants. To, To see what they're doing. So, you know, uh, I guess it's coming up, but Curbs coming back and Succession's coming back.
1: Well, in Succession, that's, people were like, they'll never have another Game of Thrones and they probably won't. I think to have another Game of Thrones, there has to be some sort of fantasy outer space.
0: Are you talking about superheroes? You're talking about in terms of numbers? Just,
1: yeah, audience scale, the whole thing. I think you need some sort of something that's not normal human behavior, but Succession is about as good as they're going to do with just the flat-out drama, you know? It's,
0: inc- it's incredible. I mean, it really it really is. And, uh, I, you know, I was worried about episodes two and three. That was a really, first season. But once, I mean, the pilot was great. And then once they hit season, episode four, and the second yeah, season, took off. it just, it, they crushed it. They crushed well, it. Really smart.
1: The Ringer was drinking the Kool-Aid from day one and I would always tell people, just get to episode four. Yeah. It's smooth, smooth sailing after that. Yeah, it's cool. There's good TV right now. I've I even there's shows on other networks that I've liked. Like I like the heels, the wrestling show at stars. I think that was pretty good. But there's people are doing a good job. There's been good stuff on Netflix, all these places. So
0: oh by the uh, way, speaking of the ringer, congrats on uh Jeopardy. I I'm proud to say that I read her book in galleys and gave her a quote for the back cover. She is magical. She is really some uh, old school journalism, right, Jim? Absolutely. Took her
1: time, didn't try to beat the New York Times, waited. She she wanted to make sure the story was
0: right and then crushed them. And not only that, talk about the Lord's work, listening to all those freaking pods. I know. I mean that that, you know, somebody would have given up after five or ten minutes. She's she is really good. And for people out there who haven't read that book on I mean, I just thought it was outstanding.
1: Well, now we have the paperback where she gets a giant epilogue of the, uh, of the Jeopardy book about this whole, this whole saga. She did a great job. I think it was a good, let like, cause a couple of people, I talked to John Walsh this week actually, and he was, he was like thrilled by it. He loved like this old school, like reporting type moment. And, uh, and we were talking about, I had nothing to do with the story other than just giving the thumbs up on it. But, um, the, the cool thing about it was the concept of taking your time with the story, which I'm not sure everybody does anymore. They try to rush, they, they get worried somebody else might have it and they just try to throw up whatever they have. And Claire didn't do that with that one. You know, she waited till she had the entire story and the whole talk to enough people. And when we talked to like some of our younger people about reporting this stuff and just how to make it in the business and things like that, it's like, don't call three people, call 10, you know, like... That's, that's how to get ahead and stuff like that. But she I also she did it.
0: it it's the kind of story where, and this used to happen a lot more, but she's the only person that could have really written that story.
1: Yeah, she's like the woes of Jeopardy.
0: She, she under I mean, I saw it when I was reading the guys' book. She just understood the fabric of the show. Yep. She knew who everybody was. And so as a result, when there was something to investigate, she was uniquely positioned, particularly given her work ethic, to, uh, to pull it off. I mean, well, she, I'm glad you liked it.
1: Yeah. She did a great job. Uh, before we go, give me two ESPN predictions.
0: Uh, other than we're never going to see Rachel Nichols on ESPN again.
1: Yeah. I don't, that doesn't count.
0: I, I think Max is going to get a show. I
1: think the highly gonna, questionable that time yeah, slot. Yeah.
0: Be, yeah. I think that makes sense to me. And I, I think, you know, they'd, they'd probably do that. And, uh, I'm not sure about who's going who's gonna to be hanging out with Peyton. I, I don't, I don't want to say. I, I may be wrong and the person may not want me to jinx it for them, but um, that's, a, that's a pretty big slot.
1: My prediction, this is a Norby knowing what he likes with stuff. I predict with Countdown, uh, one of their A-list hosts becomes involved in that show be a prediction.
0: Right. I I hope they like basketball.
1: Well, like Reese Davis does the NBA draft. Why couldn't he host countdown? Somebody like that. An old school, like the The kind of guy, the kind of guy Norby is very comfortable with. Norby has certain QBs that he likes, right? If he was an offensive coordinator, you would know who the Norby QBs are. I would predict something like that.
0: Well, Reese is a good man. No drama.
1: Or other maybe who knows, um, Jim Miller. It was great to see you. Great to um,
0: see you. Thanks very much. And me uh,
1: thanks for popping on for fifty minutes. And then we'll we'll have you in November when you're promoting your book. I'll be one of the forty podcasts you go on. <laughs> Thank
0: <laughs> thanks. You so Thank you so
1: much. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Mike Francesa. Thanks to Jason Goff. And thanks to Jim Miller. We're back on Sunday night, our last Sunday night podcast before we start doing Guest the Lines with Cousin Sal. So I'll have to come up with something good for that. This one was produced by Kyle Creighton, as always. Hey, we have something really exciting brewing with FanDuel. It's coming next Friday, September 3rd. And get ready for my Million Dollar Pick segment, which we'll be, we'll be doing late Thursday night, heading into Friday every week during the season on the Bill Simmons Podcast. Check out the FanDuel or FanDuel Sportsbook app. Uh, don't forget about the rewatchables coming on Monday. I'll just, no, well, no, I'll tell you what the movie is on Sunday Night's Podcast. I'll, I'll wait. You'll have to wait. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for listening.